Hey everybody, welcome to episode 40 of Open the Voice Gate. I am Mike Spears. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate or myself personally on Twitter at Fujiheya. That's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on the podcast platform of your choice. We have our own RSS feed if you just want this podcast, but we're also on Spotify and a lot of other formats as well. So it's been a while. I've had kind of a crazy spring, and I apologize for not having an episode out since early February. But if you're interested in my thoughts over Dragon Gate over the last few months, I do have my pen tweet where I have a document where I'm listing pretty much every Dragon Gate match of worth over this year. If you're looking for a couple shows that are worth checking out, I think it's really worth checking out Night 2 of Champion Gate. I believe it's already up on the Dragon Gate Network as a part of their new Infinity format. It's two-hour shows. Usually it's some stuff's a little bit edited up. If you're able to find a version of Champion Gate that has the full show, then it's worth checking out both the Twin Gate match with UT and Kai versus... Uh, ben, Big Ben, and then also the uh, Open the Dream Gate match with with Pac defending against Shun Skywalker. Other than that, a lot of the shows have recently been kind of dry. There was a really cool match on the first show at across Fukuoka, so if you're looking for that, I mean, it was UT versus Yuki Oshioka, and it's worth checking out. But anyways, we have a fun episode ahead of us today. Case Lowe joins me, and we talk about an incredible a dead or a live show, and then we take a long look into the upcoming King of Gate tour and how that's probably going to set up the 20th anniversary show at Kobe World Cannon Hall. But without any ado, let's get into it with Case. And joining me this time on Open the Voice Gate is our established and favorite alumnus, Case Lowe, who is, of course, the Dragon Gate writer at Voices of Wrestling. Case, how's it going? Mike, I am well. Um, as of an hour ago, I completed my sophomore year of college, which as is exciting as it is terrifying. Uh, but I am—I no longer have finals to take this year, which means uh, for the next, I don't know, four weeks, I'm devoting my full attention to Dragon Gate, King of Gate, and the New Japan Best of the Super Juniors. So I'm happy to be joining you tonight. Yeah, I know that these tournaments line up around the same time each year, but it feels like at least in 2019, there's two gangbusters tournaments that are happening in Japan at the same time. And I don't know, I can't remember the last time, like 2018 and 2017, didn't feel as interesting about the tournaments as this year does. 
Well, yeah, one had Shingo bogging it down for years, and now Shingo has left and is making the Super Junior super exciting, and there's an influx of talent in King of Gate this year. So it's tremendous. And maybe Shingo bogging the King of Gate down for years is unfair, but <laughs> certainly there was a point last year where it was like, okay, I've, I've seen enough of this, and I, I think the career move was a good choice for all involved. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I... At least the last 18 months of his Dragon Gate tenure, it just got so bogged down and you could just feel like that something had to change. And if it's him having a new environment like he's done in New Japan, you know, good for him and good for both companies. It's kind of a win-win situation. The company Dragon Gate at this point feels like such a different company than it did with Shingo Takagi kind of looming as a specter. Oh, absolutely. And it it's crazy to say this because, you know, I think statistically speaking, Shingo's one of the, you know, at worst 20 greatest wrestlers of all time. It is in my top five of personal favorites, but, and it's, it's fitting that it's, it's happening now one year after uh, dead or alive. We're having this conversation where the Shingo versus Ryo Saito feud that happened last year uh, drove me away from the company to a point that I almost quit covering these shows and for as much as I love Shingo, he was at fault for a lot of my disdain with the direction of the company. So it's nice to see him land on his feet. And now he's being broadcast to an entirely different audience that has quickly realized that, oh, this this guy's amazing. And I'm happy to have been right for all the years that I touted him. Um, but now you look at Dragon Gate and it's new wrestlers, it's fresh faces, it's guys in different positions. And I don't think all of that happens if Shingo is still, you know, the one or two guy in the top heel unit, which for the time being or at least when he was in the company, it looked like that was how it was going to be. Yeah, it just seemed like that with the way that he turned heel after Monster Express and the forming of Berserk, he kind of cemented himself in a certain role that was just impossible to wedge him out of. So when you add that into the times that he was cycled down with that horrific Cyrio feud, it just got to a point where it's like, okay, this is the best thing for everyone around. And his overness in New Japan can't be understated. I was at Madison Square Garden, and during that honorable match, he was easily one of the probably four or five most over people in that match outside of the Legends. So it's a good move for all people. And especially now we're kind of looking back. Today is the one-year anniversary of the split between Shima and Stronghearts and Dragon Gate. So it's kind of interesting now, like, put it all in perspective and see how the company has changed from this date last year to how it is now. It's really amazing to look at all that can happen in the year. And I think this directly relates into this year's dead or alive and especially the main event, which we'll get to in a second. But like I was going back and reading my review of dead or alive last year and I buried T Hawk six feet under. I mean, I really destroyed him in my review of he was in a twin gate match last year as him and a Ata challenging for the twin gate titles against big Ben and I just wrote this big thing about how I wish T-Hawk was a good wrestler. T-Hawk wrestles like he should be a good wrestler, but he's just not. And he's lifeless and he's sucking the soul out of these twin gate matches. And flash forward a year, yes, Wrestle One isn't the most financially stable company. Noah doesn't have the biggest fan base, but he's the ace for a promotion in Japan. Looks like a completely different wrestler. Has just a confidence about him that was absent for so long in Dragon Gate. And now Shima and Lindemann and T-Hawk are working for a major American company, which I never thought I'd see the day. And I'm so excited for the opportunities they're going to get with All Elite, all elite Wrestling. 
And now you've got these Chinese kids coming up that are just blowing my mind with every single move they do. And in Dragon Gate, it feels like they got a, a restart right around Kobe World last year. And I've talked about it with you. I've talked about it with our friend Alan. I thoroughly enjoy this product on a week-in, week-out basic basis, basically. Um, so I'm thrilled with the direction of the company. I'm thrilled that all the parts that shifted got moved where they did, that Shima left, that Shingo left, and that we kind of got a fresh, stop at a, t- a fresh start at the top of the card. And I'm thrilled with the direction Dragon Gate's heading. Oh, absolutely. And I think no better way that, than to talk about the direction of Dragon Gate going into their hot season. This Golden Week is kind of the kickoff point from their very boring and slow beginning of the year. I mean, I spent most of the last week catching up on a bunch of shows from May, uh, March and April, and it was very dry. But the Stetter Alive show was incredible. And it's a great point about how the company has distanced itself from their former wrestlers and has started to really prepare for the future that in a lot of ways that when they attempted it in the past, they kind of failed, especially with T-Hawk. So let's just get into this card because it might be my favorite big show card, I think, since uh, at least Dangerous Gate last year and probably going back further to like Kobe World 2017. I, I love this card. There was a lot of different things about it that was tremendous. The attendance was 4536, which was announced as a super no vacancy full house, which is really remarkable given where they've gone and how things were over the last year. So off the top case, what do you think about the show, the show overall? What were your general impressions? I, I love the show from top to bottom. Everything that needed to deliver, delivered. And then I get the feeling just from the brief conversation we had before we started the show that I liked the undercard stuff a little bit more than you did. Um, as for the attendance number, it's basically the same number that New Japan drew with Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi uh, three weeks ago now, which is a tremendous success for Dragon Gate. I mean, it's, you know, yes, Ibushi versus Zack Sabre Jr. maybe isn't an A-caliber main event for New Japan. You know, at worst, it's B-tier, although I, you know, I could talk myself into thinking, well, no, that's a top match for the company. The fact that Dragon Gate's drawing the same number is another one of those like, oh, that's right. They're the number two company in Japan, and yet, you know, no one talks about them. You know, all Japan's not drawing this number in this house. Noah's certainly not. Big Japan, you know, I don't know enough about their attendance, but 4,500 in this building is a is a huge success, which I think you can attribute to Dragon Kid being in the Dreamgate match, and then this excellent and, in my opinion, well-built main event. Yeah, and... I might be a little bit more down on you about the down than you about the undercard, but that's probably because how much of the stuff I've watched over the last few days that has just colored my mind. But absolutely, they were really smart about how they placed Aichi locals. I mean, you have Dragon Kid and the world title and the Dreamgate match. You had you had UT, who's from Nagoya proper, in the Bravegate match. And then you have Kyo Watanabe, who's not from Aichi, but he's from the Prefecture in a Triangle Gate match. And all three of those guys, by having them in these title matches, made them very heated and very interesting because what would happen if UT guys first singles title? What happened if Hyo Watanabe guys first title of any way? And what happened if Dragon Kid finally wins the top title in the Dragon system? So, yeah, all of that plus the excellently built main event, I think that this they just knocked it out of the park and... You know, last year they said that it was 4,500, but that was before they stopped working numbers. And this felt so much more full of a IG Prefectorial gym than last year. 
Absolutely. Do you want to start with the main event? Yeah, I think we should because the this is probably the, the match that's going to take a lot of dissecting and getting into. The main event for the show was the Bond Steel Cage Survival 5-Way match. Now, the rules for this match were that the person in each the person from each unit would be in the match and the the ones that everyone pulls the flags and there's four flags, but the thing is that this year these were the people that had control the fate of members in their unit. And the rule was if you pulled a flag, you had the option of exiling anyone from your unit. However, if you were the loser in this match, you were required to exile it, someone. So you don't have the option to say, no, we're good. The five members in this match were KZ representing natural vibes, Yamato representing, tri- representing Triad Vanguard, Shun Skywalker representing Mochizuki Dojo, Naruki Doi representing Maximum, and Big R Shimizu representing R.E.D., the four people who got the flags were KZ, Shun, Yamato, and Doi, which left Shimizu as the overall loser of this match in 35-20. And just like off the top, how do you feel like this match compares to past cage matches? Well, I, I really like it. I don't think it's on the tier of 2011 or 2016, which to me are the mm-hmm. best two cage matches they've ever put on. 2016 is just a just a marvelous display of violence when you look back on it. Um, but I still love this match 35 minutes and correct me if I'm wrong, but 35 minutes feels shorter than most of these cage matches have been. Yeah. I mean, usually they are in the, the high thirties, early forties. Okay. But I feel like I'm just going to pull up the one from 2017, just so we have a point of comparison that it's just with only having five people in the match as well. I think that kind of, also makes it a, a little bit shorter. So last, so in 2017, which was the Yamato mask versus title match, it was 44 minutes. Okay, yeah, so this felt like it flew by. Mm-hmm. I got all that I wanted from the match, but there was a part of it that was like, oh, oh, that's it, okay, all right, we're done here. Um, really unique match. It's funny, listening to you read the rules, it's like, oh, there's so much going on, but this is so much simpler than it's been in recent years. Um, so I, I loved the concept of the match with, you know, each delegate, you know, having the power and the, you know, the last one being forced to make a move. And I, I just love this match. I loved everything that came out of it. I thought shooting Skywalker was excellent. I thought the returns in this match, whether that be Hayao Watanabe dressed as Yasuke Santa Maria or uh, BB Hulk dressed as dark BB Hulk, but kind of looked more like plus size BB Hulk. <laughs> um, I, I liked everything that happened to this match. I, for the first time ever, and I went into this in my review, um, I used to not give this match a star rating because it was just my perspective on the match was, well, if you don't watch the company, you're not going to understand it. So I'm not going to bother with it. But I've kind of determined just through my own psychoanalysis of how I cover this company now and how I've evolved uh, with my role in the site. And then plus looking at, say, the American independence and how a lot of comedic wrestling is attempted and I think failed where Dragon Gate is able to produce a match like this that has such serious stakes and is so heated, but there are moments of joy and of laughter in this match. I felt like it was really important to put a star rating on this match. So as where in 2011 or 2016, uh, the matches would be flirting with, you know, four and three quarters or even for 2016, maybe five stars. This year I went four and a half. I think it's an upper tier match. I enjoyed it more than last year's, uh, but it's not on that top tier as say 2016 or 2011. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be impossible for a cage match to kind of get up there with 2016 just because of how perfect it was and have throwing everyone in a unit in there and just the, the way that it set up the Yamato face turn. I think that that match for what it was, was truly exceptional, which by the way, that was another 45 minute match, but I went four on this one, but I usually am someone that I've been around long enough. So like, I know like, okay, someone's going to have a water bottle or water balloons. Someone's going to have a rope. Someone's going to have this. So what I really want to see is what new moments and what, big turns are going to happen in this match because the match of itself, the performances of the people inside the, the cage were all excellent. I mean, Shun Skywalker on his first major pay-per-view knocked it out of the park for someone who has been walking wounded for the last few weeks and was taking off shows. But, you know, seeing Hulk come back and especially he wasn't moving so well, especially I kept my eye on his neck and shoulders and it looked like he was just completely unwobbling. Like his head was like stuck to his neck. I don't know if you noticed that as well. Well, but. yes, and and he's not on any of the upcoming cards. So this yeah. didn't look like a return as much as more of a one-off appearance. Right. But I went four stars on this match. I think it's much better than last year's and then maybe 2015's. But it was just one of the things where I wanted something new to happen, I guess. Hio Watanabe being Hiyosuke, Santa Maria was new. And then also the fact that they really went crazy this year, Silly String. Like, to an extent... <laughs> they did. <laughs> like... It's like to an extent that I feel bad for all the Mochi Dojo kids and all and like Dragon Daya and Super Strong Machine J because they probably had a unfun night after the show was over just cleaning all that up. But that's a very fair point. Yeah, I, I'm just because I saw Dragon Daya setting up the ring and then or the cage and after the match, I was like, oh, poor Dragon Daya. I sure yeah. hope that they have enough Clorox wipes for him to get through <laughs> this because that one section of the cage was just wrecked. But well, there was there was the silly string, and then KZ used like that confetti bazooka. Right. There were some water balloons this year because at one point a water balloon was thrown at Big R, who was scaling the ropes. And I, look, maybe he's just a better bumper than I thought he was, but it looked like he slipped and took a shoot bump off the ropes onto the mat that looked super painful. Um, there were some like plastic mallets. Yoshino didn't do any baseball spots this year, but it, it was tame for gimmick weaponry, mm -hmm. but still massively entertaining. Yeah, and you talk about Big R Shimizu, and this probably is his best main event performance, I feel like, just because he bumped his ass off for everything. He sold all the gimmick shots really well, and he got I, it looked like he got his nose busted open. I don't know if his nose or his forehead which was really kind of interesting because he was bleeding all over the place. Then he got the flower to the face and eventually the blood started pouring down from there. I just thought that he was excellent in this match all throughout. And then, I mean, when we talk about gimmick shots, Doi might've gotten the heaviest dose of any kind of miss I've ever seen in my life. Oh my goodness. I mean, that is, that was a miss shot from Takashi Yoshida that lapped anything Muda or Tajiri or anybody else has ever done. That was the best miss shot I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that they really played up, played off of it, and the post-match made it even better. It was just, for, for someone that Yoshida has had a very bad 2019 in my mind, I don't follow, <laughs> I don't follow all Japan. I, I talk to people who do. Not once did Yoshida's name exit their mouths when they were talking about Champions Carnival. Like, or at least in a positive manner. Right, right. But him doing that, he was strong in that. And, you, you know, I feel like that for what they... I felt like that this 
the result, the ultimate result of the RED turn on Binke was very, I don't want to say choreographed, but as soon as they dropped the titles the way that they did, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is one of the changes that could happen. So I thought that for something that I was expecting, I thought like that that was executed incredibly well. What'd you think about the, the, the final turn of the show? Yeah, and we should mention, so Big Ben dropped the Twin Gate Championships on April 28th to uh, Yamato and Kai uh, in a match that was on the Dragon Gate Network. I'm unsure if it's currently on there. It was in the new Fukuoka building that's replacing Hakata Star Lanes. Um, I saw some people praise the match up until the finish where Ada ran in. Personally, I wasn't into the match at all. Actually, I thought it was a bad match. Um but that is something that if you can track down uh, for completion purposes, I would recommend watching it because there was a title change. Yeah, and that venue is a really cool-looking venue as well. Yes, I think it's going to replace Hakata Star Lanes just fine in terms of um, aesthetics. It has less people that can fill it. or you know, It's a smaller building, but um, aesthetically, I think it works with Gate, and especially in their current direction, I think it works with the company. As for the turn, I liked it especially given uh, the post-match promo with Shimizu and Eita saying that this was their plan all along and that they've tricked Big uh, Ben K into thinking he was safe and secure, but really he's not. To have the turn look so choreographed, I think really worked with the story they're trying to tell. And there was something, and, and our friend Alan, Alan Forrell on Twitter, noted this too, but it struck me as I was watching it that it felt very dramatic for Dragon Gate standards, that even when we see turns, they they don't feel as dark as this almost. And I don't know, I don't think it's to the credit of R.E.D. being this devilish heel unit. I think it's a little bit of Ben K being just such an excellent and likable baby face and that, you know, he got turned on and it felt mean because of the way that Shimizu looks and the way he acts, this current character that he's in. Everything about it just felt really mean and disheartening, and the crowd kind of reacted as such. And there was a few minutes there where, like, R.E.D. walked to the back, and it was eerily silent, and it was just an odd display of events. But then Ben K. gets up. Um, he cuts a promo for the first time in forever, which I liked. I personally don't think it got um, a good enough reaction. I was actually disappointed by the reaction that uh, the crowd gave it. I do think if he speaks in Corkin later this week, uh, the Corkin crowd is going to go nuts for it. Maybe that was just a thing where uh, the IG crowd wasn't as familiar with the storyline. But to answer your question, I, I like the turn. I like what they did. And I especially like the direction that they're going. Yeah, with the company now full steam towards the 20th anniversary show, they now have a unique opportunity that we'll probably get into a little bit later to talk about that they can have, have the title match here be likely Pac versus Ben K. Like, I feel like that's the most obvious, the most obvious direction. And then he's been the guy that's been kind of pointed at as like their future ace for a long time. And I feel like that the way they executed this was very well done. I think that the crowd might not have been familiar with this. And this didn't come as like the shock of the Amato getting turned on by Doi in 2016. But I feel like this walked away. I walked away from this match with a lot more satisfied feeling about the turn than I did then. So well, I, do, you, do you think Pac versus Ben K let's say there's no special appearances on the undercard. Um, the co-main event is, you know, a Yamato Kai twin gate defense against some team is Ben K versus Pac 
is that a worthy Kobe World Made event? Because at least as of right now, I think that would fill a decent sized building, but you might have a different feel on it. I think for the most part, it will do well. I don't know if it will come close to the attendance of past years. I think that the two of them combined would outsell last year, especially with a Yamato semi-main event with uh, Kai, maybe against, if, if the proposed match does not happen, maybe against uh, Do- Yoshi, oh, sorry, uh, Speed Muscle Doyoshi. Like, that could easily push it. Like, I don't know if it would be, like, pushing 6,000, but it would get them healthily into the in the upper 50 hundreds, I feel like. So I feel like that even without this, and I guess we should probably address what we're kind of beating around the bush about. Uh, Yamato is, uh, not Yamato, pardon me. Masato Yoshino has been openly calling out uh, Ultimo Dragon to show up for the 20th anniversary show. And that's a big thing that has not happened. He's not been in the ring with nearly anyone from the company with the exception of like Super Shisha in the last 15 years. So since... Kobe 2004, right? Which was the last tour you want show. So, if they have him there, then they could easily go six, seven thousand people. But without him, I think fifty five hundred would be a honest appraisal, unless they bring in some really huge outsiders. I know last year they had they decided to bring in Tsubi Fujinami, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and Hiro Saito for the match, and that didn't really bolster the bolster the attendance too much so no and masato to knock on the undercard but that did nothing that was that was a bad decision in hindsight to mm-hmm. have masato tanaka in a random triangle game match when he was already booked somewhere else that night right but the the main event um another thing that i really liked about it uh was the positioning of shoot skywalker i thought skywalker mm-hmm. was excellent in this match we had joked previously that he might do a moonsault off the cage or into the cage that he was going to do something crazy. Um, he, he ended up doing a flying crossbody off of a plank of wood that was wedged between the cage door. Uh, the wood looked like it was giving out under Skywalker and that when Big Armor was under it later on in the match or over it, I should say, um, I was absolutely terrified that the wood was going to snap underneath him. But as for Skywalker, um, he escaped early in the match. Now, I was surprised by this because I thought it was going to be Skywalker and Shimizu as the final two guys in the match. Skywalker escaped pretty early. Do you think that is a case of Drangate looking at Skywalker and not really thinking of him as a main event player yet? Because I think Shimizu's there and Doi obviously is. Do you read into Skywalker exiting early as maybe if it was him and Shimizu, the crowd wouldn't be as hot for it as they were for Doi and Shimizu? I think there's some of that to it. I mean, this was his first pay-per-view main event, and you, you in a match like this, you want to get the big last pop for the uh, last flag being drawn. I think also this was for Shun. I mean, he had the injury. Was it his knee that got tweaked or his ankle? Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe they thought, okay, let's let's have him be in there. He can, he'll can he outlast uh, KZ, who was the first the first free, but then soon after, let's not risk his knee anymore and get him out of the cage. So I can see it being either of those two. But yeah, no, that plank. So I think it was Kota Minoru who was the person trying to put the plank, and it took them like took about a good minute to get the plank portioned right. Yeah, and, they they couldn't get it at first. And it looked like they were about to abandon ship completely, mm-hmm. and then they finally got it in there. Yeah. So I guess the kids in Mochizuki Dojo are not playing Fortnite. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so good on so good on Masaki Mochizuki keeps those kids in line and off of Fortnite. I mean, that's a problem that a lot of sports teams are having with their younger players. There's no Fortnite being played in the Mochizuki Dojo locker room. That's good. That's good parenting by Mochizuki. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I mean, like obviously Shun, I think acquitted himself well in this match. I think that the result of him leaving Mochizuki Dojo, which was the only other big Bond turn, was he decided to take himself out of Mochizuki Dojo and he wanted to be able to go on his own. I felt like that that was a good step for him. He is obviously higher up on the card than the other three members of his class, but it just didn't necessarily have the emotional gravitas. And I don't know if that, if again, this was the Aichi crowd, not necessarily being up on the storyline or that they just weren't as familiar with him. what did you think about it? I liked it. I, I agree with you that it seemed like the crowd wasn't super into Skywalker. I wonder what his future from here on out is. Because first of all, you're right. I think he assimilated himself into the main event super well. I, I think he's already established the fact that he can hang with anybody on the roster, that he can fit anywhere into a big match, and he can thrive. Where does he go from here? You know, he's now without a unit. Ben Cade's without a unit. Um, the... Uh, the wrestler that, you know, Dragate has brought in for the month of May. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, uh, Kaisuke. Yeah, thank you. Kaisuke Okuda um, has connections with Ben K. It looks like there's positive feelings from both sides about Okuda maybe being in Dragate on a full-time basis. Is it a given that he's going to end up in a unit with Ben K? Or where does Skywalker go from here? Because I, he doesn't fit into natural vibes. Maximum just went through a big storyline where they were against adding two members, but finally relented. He's not really a tribe Vanguard guy, and I pray to God he doesn't turn heel. So it has to be a new Skywalker unit, right? I mean, it feels like that those three, especially if Okuda sticks around, are kind of a natural pairing. And I mean, you have someone... The only, my only worry about that unit is who's going to be the mic worker there because Shun's decent. Ben K, they're being very protective about, and I honestly have no inkling of what kind of mic worker Okuda is as well. Well, so. if, if Ben K is pushed to the moon, he's going to have to talk. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think looking, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we look at, you know, this angle that they did where Ben K didn't talk, I think is preparing him for on May 9th, he's going to get a massive pop when he closes Cork and Hall with a promo. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to start seeing him talk more from there. So I think Ben K can can handle things um, with Skywalker, like a secondary role. And then from there, you know, you fill your unit with your scrubs and whoever else you want to. But I was just racking my brain today of, you know, he, again, he, he doesn't really fit anywhere. It seems like even the mess that is Tri Vanguard, like, there's a certain feel to them that he's not going to link up with them, especially with Flamita coming back next month. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be a new unit, um, and it would make sense for him to be with Ben K. It seems like they have a mutual respect for each other after their match in February, and they're both without a unit right now. Yeah, and the two of them are the most prominent people of their class year. I mean, now that we're down to four of them, it's it's very clearly of Benkei and Shun Skywalker, and then Yoshioka and Wanabe are far behind. So it just seems like that these three people, if Okuda is going to stick around, are just going to gravitate towards each other. And I do wonder about the rest of the unit. I guess 
we can see what kind of position someone like Dragon Daya is coming up, and maybe we'll see how long the Strong Machine Army lasts. Because I could easily see. Oh, that's a good point. I could. Okay, that's I, yeah. There we go. Yeah, because I th that's a we'll get into it. When we talk about the match. That's a that's a team that has a shelf life that I think quickly. <laughs> I think we found it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Its expiration date is gonna. So it's gonna be interesting though. I it, it does also kind of in my mind if another unit's forming, it does make me wonder about the lifespan of Tri Vanguard at this point because now they are three years old because they formed right after the Dead or Alive show in 2016. So it makes me wonder, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen and the, the unit's in a lot better place, especially with Flamita coming back and Kai being around, not necessarily full time, but at least at nearly every single TV taping. So it, it'll be interesting. I feel like that this summer, and especially through King of Gate, a lot of things could play out and especially after Kobe world and the run up to that. So Absolutely. Do you have any other big thoughts about the um, main event before we start moving down the card? No, I want to talk about this Dream Gate match next. All right, let's get into it. The Dream Gate match was the uh, pre-intermission match, of course. They go long on the intercard in Aichi because it takes forever to set up the damn cage. It was it was Pac making his third defense of the Open the Dream Gate Championship, so he will be walking into double or nothing with the title. And he defeated his old uh, senior and Dragon Kid in 21 minutes and 58 seconds with the Black Arrow. I went four and a quarter on this match, and I loved this match so much. This was this blew away my expectations and made me a little bit more okay with how much Dragon Kid was being featured. Case, what were your thoughts? I gave this match four flat, but I, I feel like that rating undercuts how good this match was. I normally don't have a problem with star ratings, and I really don't think too much about them because I often think star rating conversations are too nuanced and that people put too much thought into them. But this is a four-star match, but I can also pick out individual moments where I go, well, that was that was brilliant. I mean, Pac is on a run right now, and, and he's fascinating to watch because he's not someone that's nailing it week to week. Pac's mm -hmm. UK any work, nobody really seems to like it. Um I'm curious. I think when All Elite Wrestling starts up, I think he's going to bring it there because, you know, I my understanding is he's somewhat of a contracted talent and, and wants to work. And, I, you know, he's got a good relationship with the Young Bucks. I think he'll work his ass off in All Elite. But he's only delivering in Dragon Gate, and he's working very, very hard, obviously, on these big shows. I like the work that he's doing on some of the televised house shows as well. But there's something about this reign that although – like Shingo's third Dreamgate reign, which is the one, you know, with the Don Fuji defense, with the Masaki Mochizuki defense, with the Shima defense leading up to uh, Jimmy Susubu surprising him on Valentine's Day 2016 and defeating him. There was a, a brutality and kind of just like these death blows that Shingo would lay out that Pac is kind of matching, which mm -hmm. is crazy because, you know, there are two guys with distinctly different wrestling styles, but... Every one of Pac's wins, uh, the Yoshino title victory, the match of the year candidate with KZ, uh, the Shun Skywalker match, which I still think people criminally underrated, and now this Dragon Kid match, there's just such a finality to these defeats, and it's just amazing to watch. I mean, this is something that I knew Pac had in him because I think even before he was signed by WWE, he was a top wrestler in the world and someone that... I always knew was capable of being a main eventer and a top guy. And now he's proving it, which is nice vindication for me, but 
you just look at what he's doing and he's he's unbelievable. He's working so smart all during this tour that he was on. I think he showed up uh, April 27th, maybe, was his first match on the tour. He he finished everybody off on these house shows with this jumping tombstone pile driver. He never used the black arrow. And then at this match, he tombstones drank it on the apron early, and that kind of sets up the rest of this match. But although he's so dominant and definitive at these wins, he's giving his opponents a lot of offense, which is very interesting. You know, Casey got a ton against him. Skywalker got into moves. Dragon Kid probably had more offense in like a 70-30 ratio than Pac mm-hmm. did in this match. But Pac just knows his moves and is able to execute his finishing stretches so well. And there's no one in wrestling right now that feels as dangerous or as dominant as Pac does in these big matches. And it's a thing of beauty to watch. Right. And the thing that really kind of sticks out to me about this match is when you talk about his, his finishing stretch, when he did, when he went for the second rope tombstone in my head, I just went, okay, ball game because you knew that at that point he was going to hit the black arrow and it was over. And the closest thing I can even think about this was early on in his tenure when Kazucha Kata would immediately go, okay, German drop kick, and then go for the rainmaker. You're like, okay, this is the closing stretch. And Pac has that. He's done this in such a way that he's been able to really use this reign not only to get himself back into what kind of wrestler he wants to be going forward, but you take someone like KZ and KZ, who he knows will rise to the occasion, and he let KZ pretty much look like the toughest guy in the world. And then you take someone like Shun Skywalker, and that was probably, you said this match was 70 30. That match is probably 80 20. And he still made Shun Skywalker look like a million bucks. And he goes in with his, with a guy that he's been tied to basically in his Dragon Gate career. I mean, Dragon Kid was kind of the guy that kind of, for lack of better words, kind of led him around, kind of got him into doing certain things correctly. Well, and they then, were they were a brilliant tag team mm-hmm, together. I mean, DK Kobe, World, Kobe World 2011, Pac and Dragon Kid versus Shima and Ricochet is, in my opinion, one of the five best Dragon System matches ever. I mean, it's a five-star tag match as good as almost anything that's happened this decade. You know, they were really, really strong in the short time that they teamed together. Yeah, and then like they had this chemistry, and basically Dragon Kid decided, okay, I'm going to put on a Rana clinic with all my offense. I mean, he did, the, he did everything except for the Dragon Rana. I mean, he did the Ultra Rana, he did the Springboard, he did a couple Poison Ranas, and it just was something that... Pac, in a lot of ways, he will win definitively, but he will let his opponents do such tremendous things and get themselves over. And I think that's something that's a little different from the uh, Shingo's third reign that you're talking about, because that one was basically Shingo brutalizing people. This is, in a lot of ways, is Pac brutalizing people, like like how you said, and being very definitive. But this has also been done in a way that now KZ has his second title defense or title challenge out of the way. Next time he's gonna come back even stronger. Shun got his first dream key out of the way, and then someone like Dragon Kid in his hometown. It's it's such a huge moment for him to come so close and basically giving me a moment in this match where I was like, you know, if he hit the Dragon Rana here, he'll win it. And I didn't walk into this match expecting that whatsoever. No, not at all. But there was definitely a point in this match because I, I watched this entire show after the fact, but I I managed to go in completely unspoiled. They were halfway through the match. I'm like, oh my God, is Dragon Kid going to win this? Like, it, it wouldn't shock me given that Double or Nothing is coming up. I don't know Pac's deal with Dragon Gate, but I 
I guess he could be done. I mean, Dragon Kid's wrestling like he's about to win the top prize in the company. And yet, you know, we talked about Pac's just destruction and brutality. Another example of that would be the top rope Falcon Arrow. Oh, God. <laughs> that was the nastiest and greatest move I think I've ever seen done in wrestling. Just disgusting. This Falcon Arrow off the top rope that turned into a, a spike brain buster that uh, made me jump off my couch. It was unbelievable, just the impact of this move. Dragon Kid is someone that he is very flexible, but I was just like, his spine had to be completely compressed in that. It was just, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And it was it's insane. No, it's no one's fault. I'm, I don't wish for anybody else to take that bump, but if they do and they walk away from it, uh, I'm going to applaud because mm-hmm. that was that was just an amazing spectacle to see. And it was right when Pac dialed it up and he hit that. And then, like you mentioned, he went to the middle rope tombstone and then the black arrow for the win. And you watch those three moves within a few minutes of each other. And it's just like, who the fuck is going to beat this guy? And the answer has obviously been K at Kobe World. But it, Pac is doing a lot for the future of the company, which I, I'm going to give Pac the benefit of the doubt. I think he's that calculated and I think he cares about Drangate enough to do this where he's giving these guys so much in these title matches but still protecting himself in a way that when he's defeated and you know if after he loses the dream gate he's done with the company and wants to work all elite full-time or go to new japan which i still don't really see that happening but if he's done let's say after kobe world his 10 months in the company or eight months in the company however long it was made the company a better place than it was when he came in Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were talking about the title reigns and really it was around the time that Pac came back that really the company f- kind of kicked into gear for this new era. So oh, could you imagine the top heel unit without Pac right now? I mean, if we had to deal with more Ato bullshit at the top of the card <laughs> or if you know this Ben K turn happens without, you know, let's say it's Ben K Yamato, you know, great, you know, We've, but we've seen Yamato in this top spot before, and we know what we're going to get there. You know, Casey is not in the spot he is. Shoot, Skywalker is not in the spot he is. Pac has made such a marvelous change to this company, and it brings me great delight. It also slightly concerns me as someone that just cares about the well-being of Drangate that Pac is so good in these big matches, and I still don't feel like there's been a giant uptick in Western viewing. Um, which if Pac's not going to be the guy that makes you watch this company, then nobody is, which breaks my heart quite honestly. But the work he's done, I, I'm grateful to Pac because I really think he's taking these Dragon Gate outings very, very seriously. And quite honestly, I don't think he is with his indie bookings. And, you know, good for him. He's getting paid by Dragon Gate. He's probably getting paid a lot of money by Dragon Gate. He needs to do his thing at a top level, and that's how he does it. I, I'm thrilled with what Pac's done for Dragon Gate. Oh, absolutely. I remember, I forget which podcast this was I read the recap of. It, it was something All Elite related, but they were talking about trying to bring him in for All In. And he said, no, I'm going to Dragon Gate first. Because, or, or someone marked that, no, he was going to go to Dragon Gate first because he does hold the company in such esteem. He does view it as home. This is a guy who has been talked about as he's someone that would be just as happy as being a mailman up in up in England. So him, the fact that he's like, no, I want to do this. And I've watched some of his his matches in Europe and they are 
it, it's kind of like when I would joke about Gamma taking three bumps and that's it. He was he was in Gamma gear for those, but it's very clear how much he cares about Dragon Gate. It does worry me a little bit that if he drops the title at Kobe World and leaves the company to focus more full time on All Elite Wrestling, what state would that leave the company in? What state would that leave RED in? Would it just become Ada and his goon squad? Because that's what I feel like it would be if he left today. Which so. we've had three years of that, but the right. but, but the point is, and I don't I I don't mean to say this as a as a victory lap, but it's going to come across that way. But I never bought into this idea that Pac was going to show up in Dragon Gate just to moonwalk into New Japan mm-hmm. because everything about his career has said otherwise. You know, when he when he did Best of the Super Juniors in 2012, he was kind of at a point where he had accomplished enough in Dragon Gate at the time, they weren't going to push him to the top of the card. You know, his final match, or not his final match, but one of his final matches at the company was his Dream Gate match against Shima, which is an excellent, excellent match if you haven't seen it. And that was kind of his peak at the time as a performer, but I never bought into this idea that he was just going to use Dragon Gate as a stepping stone to get in New Japan when the interviews he's done and from the, the personal insights that you and I have heard that he really cares about Dragon Gate and what this company is about. And I just think it's great. I think the loyalty mm. there is is a marvelous thing. And if he goes to New Japan and, you know, All Elite, whatever he does there, more power to him. But I really love the work he's done in this company. And I, I thought this Dreamgate match was terrific. I hope people check it out. Yeah, there's not much more I could say about that match other than this and how much more enthusiasm I give for Pac's title reign. So the uh, second title match on the show was the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match where... R.E.D. defended against Mochizuki Dojo. The R.E.D. team, of course, is Yazushi Kanda, Takashi Yoshida, and Kazuma Sakamoto. And the Mochizuki Dojo team was Masaki Mochizuki, Hio Watanabe, and Kota Minenora. Uh, Kazuma Sakamoto got the win for the champions in 9 minutes and 47 seconds with his half-package pile driver. And it was the third defense of the title. And... Boy, Kazuma Sakamoto has turned out to be quite the Dragon Gate worker, hasn't he? Isn't he, like, weirdly good? Like, I can't entirely explain it. He's just like, and I'll take a victory lap on this one, because when he came into the company, his debut match, I was like, oh, this is going to work. It's going to take some time, but this is going to work. And I kind of saw it immediately. Uh, Did not ever think he was going to be as good as he's been in this company to where he's carrying Yoshida and then Yasushi Kanda, who, and I put this in my review, I don't know a single thing he did in this match. I mean, we talked about, you know, Gama's three-bump policy or Pac on the UK Indies. Uh, Kanda, in a high-profile match, just decided to peace out and take the night off. Probably Um, for the best. Yeah, oh, well, look, it's not a complaint. (laughs) More of a thank you for your service. Um, No, Sakamoto was unbelievable in this match. You know, we've talked about it. We talked about it in our written preview. Um, he and Masaki Mochizuki have weirdly good chemistry. They're just two guys that work together really well. And then Watanabe uh, and Kota Minora working with Sakamoto here, they clicked instantly, which is a huge testament to, I think, both the young guys and Sakamoto, that they can mm-hmm. mesh with maybe unfamiliar wrestlers or wrestlers that at least didn't come up with the Dragon system. Uh, for Sakamoto to be able to work with such young guys, I think is really high praise for him. So I gave this match three and three quarters uh, right on the cusp before. Didn't realize it only went nine minutes. I think that backs up my Kanda didn't take a bump theory quite well. <laughs> and it, was just, it was just a good match. 
Yeah, I have the same star rating on this. And I thought that this, outside of the uh, now infamous 10-man uh, tag match from that rookie class versus the veterans, I felt like this was Hio Watanabe's best performance. He's finally started to click. I don't know how much him clicking means for him in his career, but I feel like he acquitted himself well. Kota Minenoro, the more that he's kind of gotten into who he is in the ring, he's been a delight. I mean, he's kind of the feisty suplex machine, and it's kind of great. And yeah, Cosmo Sakamoto, he rules. I remember like being very negative about Cosmo Sakamoto showing up, especially as X on the debut of Real Extreme Diffusion. So he has made a believer out of me, and I'll take that L. I'll take that L. I deserve it for that. But this really was almost a one-on-three handicap match for 10 minutes. Or maybe there was like maybe two minutes of Yoshida in this match, to be fair. But Sakamoto had some Yeeman's work here, and it was really kind of great. And I think that now we kind of have a sense of where Hyo and Koda are going forward. What's been your kind of opinion about them so far this year? Well, I am a big fan of the work that Watanabe has done to rehab himself, both mm-hmm. in my eyes and it looks like in the eyes of the company. Um, with Drangate, we've We've mentioned a lot of prodigies they've had through the years of Shingo and then Ben Kaya's Futa Nakamura when he came in the company. And then, you know, even this past month, the super strong machine J debut, um, I was I, I had to double check with somebody to see if that was an experienced veteran wrestler wrestling under a mask as strong machine J because I was blown away by just the footwork and the little things he did to where I was convinced it was a 10 year pro. But Kota Minora came on the scene and immediately got it. And he got gear super quick and he was acclimated into Mochizuki Dojo super quick. And now he's in these title matches and it all feels right. None of it feels rushed. He feels like he's prepared for these scenarios. And I don't think we've done a good, uh, good enough job covering how good he's gotten so quickly. Right. He's kind of out of the last three months, I feel like, been kind of put into the role that he's not just going to come in, hit his three moves, and then just sell the entire time. He has his uh, judo suplex. I don't even know. That's like the best way for me to kind of describe it is yeah. excellent. He ha- he has a great bridge on him, and that's something for both the most recent debutees and him and Dragon Die. Not Dragon Die really hasn't bridged. I mean, him and Super Strong Machine J is that they both have incredible bridges. Their fundamentals are so good, and Hey, as someone who probably still is Hio Wanabe's biggest Western fan, it was nice to kind of see him put together the way he did. He finally started taking care of himself. I think I saw somewhere that he dropped close to 40 pounds, which with the way that he was looking tonight or on Dead or Living, that was incredible. So it's another kind of feather in the cap on how they've been preparing themselves for the next era, getting these guys. And I mean, for Kota Minora, he didn't debut until june of last year so he's not even 10 months into his career he's 11 months in his career and he's already in the uh third from the top title match so i think that's incredible you know what, what do you think about the result of this match because and it's not a slight on the red trio although they do employ yoshida and kanda <laughs> but i i felt like i was ready for a title change here like i was ready for these young guys to win a title because they were teaming with Mochizuki, and especially given 
the the main event result with Skywalker leaving, I think it would have created an interesting dynamic for them to be champions, but for Skywalker to no longer be in the group. What what do you think about the result here? I think that this RED team has kind of shot all their shots at this point. This was the one that I thought like, okay, they're going to they could drop the title here. And I don't know necessarily if I thought that that like the focus is ready, like how you're mentioning that, because neither of these guys are in uh, the King of Gate. Yuki Yoshioka is, but they're not. So I would have been surprised if they would have leapfrog Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker by that matter and getting a tight gain to a title first. But this was a team that I would have been very happy with, even outside of my Hyo Wanabe fandom, if they would have walked away with the titles. It's just, I don't know how much more life this RED team has with certain wrestlers in their certain states. You know, I don't know how long Kazuma Sakamoto has to work 75% of the match because Yuzushi Kanda is completely washed up at this point and Takashi Yoshida. You know, he's good as a human jungle gym, but I don't know how much else he's good for at this point. Yeah, it just, I feel like they're going to have a defense against the strong machines. I think they're going to beat the strong machines, which I guess leads to them disbanding and then they're going to go into Kobe world as big heel champions. Cause that seems to be what Drangate has been into over the past few years. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know of a trio right now that feels or a unit even that, that needs these belts or feels like they, you know, they're in line to get them. So I feel like this was an opportunity to start something new, start something fresh. And they didn't really capitalize on that. And now I'm just worried that we're going to have, you know, another three star, three and a quarter star triangle gate match on a big show when the Mochizuki Watanabe and Minora team I know would have delivered. So, you know, it's just, it's something to see. But my gut reaction is that this was not a great move, that this was the one finish that I really disagreed with on this show. You know, in retrospect, I agree with you on that, especially if Shane was going to move on, just because I think that, I mean, the Strong Machines have won every single match they've been in since Strong Machine J's debut last month. And I think that that putting the titles on them at Kobe World would be the would be like the momentum base idea. But I don't think that's taking and I don't think that's taking in like how much longer do you really want to be running this unit? So, yeah, I mean, because it's it's going to lead to a strong machines versus this red trio right i think the result is in question we'll get to it in just a minute after we talk about this brave game bash but even a month in i think we're both looking at strong machines and going okay all right i think we've got this i, <laughs> I think we're all wrapped up uh next please um Let's see what this kid can do outside of this. Yeah, okay, we've seen the twin magic spot. I liked it the first six times, not too keen on it the seventh. Um, so, yeah, there's just something with the triangle gate where, you know, look, if you're building the strong machines match, I get it. And if that's the direction they go, then I won't complain about this. But there are very few uh, dragon gate matches that my gut reaction is that was the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And this felt like one of them, just because I think I would have been into that dynamic of, these guys finally have titles, but now Shun's leaving. And I I don't know if it that that would would have mean that they leapfrogged Yoshioka, uh, Watanabe Minora, that is. Uh, more so, I think they would be catching up to him because Yoshioka is someone that Dragon Gate clearly has plans for. I mean, he's mm-hmm. being pushed very aggressively right now on the undercards. 
he's turned into a wizard in the ring. I mean, Yoshioka is just a phenomenal professional wrestler. Um, so I, I had expect a big second half of 2019 for Yoshioka. And it just feels like this would have been an opportunity to maybe catch those guys up and to do a short reign, you know, not, nothing record breaking, nothing super long, but I, I wonder about this result. And I, more so than normal, I'm going to have my eyes on the Triangle Gate scene uh, up until Kobe World just to see what the hell they're going to do with it. Yeah, that's that's all fair. Uh, do you have any? I, I think we've we've now talked longer than this match was. That is probably correct. I want yeah. to talk about this Brave Gate. Yeah, match. let's get into this Brave Gate match. It was my match of the night. I went four and a half on it. It was the first defense versus Sumi Yokosuka. It was against the hometown boy in UT. He won in 14 minutes and 10 seconds with a Mugen. You don't usually see the Mugen a whole lot case. And I love this match. This is UT realize and UT, you put him in a big match on a big stage and he delivers. And probably my favorite Brave Gate match. I'm trying to think back to what Brave Gate match I liked more than this. So in the last few years. Would you like to pick a Dragon Kid versus Ata match to choose from? No, and I don't really want to pick a, a Kakatora match as, as well. well. So... And this is just a brief diversion, but yeah. this really just jumped out at me now that I'm looking at the Bravegate lineage. So uh, Yokosuka is the current champion. Before that, it was Dragon Kid. Before that, it was Eita. Before yeah. that, it was Dragon Kid. Before that, it was Punch Tamanaga. Right. Before that, it was Yasushi Kanda, which I have no memory of that reign. And then there was that lengthy Jimmy Kagatora reign, which I thought kind of under-delivered. Uh, there was another A terrain, and then you know you go into this era of Flamita, KZ, Tozawa, Kotoka, Yosuke, Santa Maria, which was really good Brave Gate stuff. Yeah, but we're now on Ata won his first Brave Gate at Kobe 2016 against Maria. Um, he followed that up with a defense against Brother Yashi, which I remember being really bad, mm-hmm. and then had a bunch of disappointing matches. So. I didn't realize that the Brave Gate has now been useless for three years. So that's something new that I, I learned up until this match, which I thought was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I think like the last exceptional title fence to title fence match probably was the Kiratazawa one, to be quite honest. But yeah, like the last few years have not been kind to the Brave Gate title. Like the last Brave Gate title match I remember loving was actually at Dead or Alive two years ago, which was Kagatora versus uh, Takahiro Yamamura. Yeah, which was when Yamamura was was red hot. And mm-hmm. that, I would agree. That's looking at this list now. That's the last, I think, truly great Brave Gate match that we had. So so two years for quality matches. And that, that Kagatora reign was weird because he really only defended it on the major pay-per-view. So there yeah. weren't a ton of defenses that year. Right. Very interesting. All right. Yeah, it was a weird title reign, and it had like one of the many Flamita comes back and demands a title shot at Kobe World. It just was a weird, weird reign. But enough about the past. This match, I went four and a half stars on it. I loved it. UT had a big match theme, which was incredible. I don't remember him ever having one. Do you? Not that I know of. You probably pay, pay attention to theme songs more than I do, but the, the presentation of UT here was so delightful because, mm-hmm. and I've been on the record about this, and I was not a UT guy. I didn't get it. I didn't have time for him. Didn't really want him in the company up until about a year ago when it just it just seemed like something changed. And to see big match UT with this hype video talking about how he's always wanted to hold the Brave Gate title, 
And then he comes out with this big match entrance, a big time theme song, and then just held his own against Susumu for 15 minutes in a match that I, and I'm okay with the result, but I, I could have sworn UT was going to win this match. And when he did it, I was crushed, but in a good way, because I want to see UT challenge for the belt more and more and more until he finally wins it. Yeah. And I was someone that like you, I had no time for UT mainly because I'm like, okay, this guy is so injured. And he's at this, such a young age, he probably should think about taking a step back if this is the how he is in the ring. And then he came back, really, the fall of last year, decided to go back to Dragon System Roots and pick up some Yave. And this match for a 14-minute match went through so many different paces and emotions. It had basically another case of one of my favorite matches, which is UT using someone else's body as a jungle gym. And... He was tremendous in this. UT might be my most outstanding wrestler in Dragon Gate this year so far, and I think I'm being outrageous in saying that. But this is a this was actually the match that I was more hoping for title change than the Bray than the Triangle and the Dreamgate matches because UT has really put himself out there and has delivered. And man, I mean, my favorite moment of this match was UT is already bleeding. He got busted open. There was a lot of. Uh, that there was a lot of both mouth blood and just blood in general on the show. And there was a, a Jimbo no Kachi Gatame that he moved into his first attempt at the BN Yave. And it was incredible. Just like this whole match for 15 minutes. I think this is some of the best technical wrestling that Dragon Gate has put on in years. Yeah. When Susumu was on the outside early on and he, he delivered a Jumbo no Kachi straight into a metal pole that was later going to support the steel cage it was that moment when I was convinced that UT was going to win this match because it just seemed like time after time, UT locked him in the BN Yave, wrenched these submissions on him, and Susumu was just barely able to get to the ropes. And I thought, just judging from the style that UT has worked all year, where it's it's more bantam weight than it is heavyweight, it, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the knockout punch that's going to get you. It's the fact that UT can survive five rounds, 10 rounds, 15 minutes, however you want to break it down, whatever metaphor you want to use. UT has always had the endurance, uh, at least in this run, to survive all the hits and keep going. And I thought that was what they were building towards here was that Susumu was just going to throw everything at him. And once he kicked out of whatever that last move is, that Susumu was going to be screwed. And it, it kind of happened like that, kind of didn't. Obviously, Susumu got the win. But what what a marvelous match. And, you know, you talk about him as your most outstanding. I think Pac just simply having such a high output, I think he'd have to be mentioned. I would probably lean Shum Skywalker as my number one. But mm-hmm. at worst, UT would be my number three this year, which unless it was January 4th and I was saying that, I would never, ever think that about UT in prior years, you know, unless he had a great match on the first show, obviously. But that had it happened because UT did not have a lot of great matches before this current run he's on. Yeah, and I kind of made a joke tweet about this. He, I want to see him, someone fly him over for blood sport. I want to see someone bring little five foot two UT in and put him in a match with someone like David Starr. Just let them just grapple for twenty minutes because well, he he'd tower over Jonathan Gresham if they had a match. But you yeah, know, that's, yeah, that's true. Besides the point. That's besides the point. But <laughs> UT has kind of slid himself as outside of Zack Saber Jr. I know I'm stealing this from you probably the best technical wrestler in the world. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, look, it, you know, I, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast for this long is going to think this is this out of a take, but I think UT blows someone like Jonathan Gresham out of the water. 
I, I like Gresham. He's a fine wrestler. I hope he does well in the best of the Super Juniors because I'm not convinced that he's going to thrive. Where someone like UT, you could just plug into so many outlets, and he just works in a way that is so fluid and so quick and so smooth. He's just a phenomenal wrestler. And again, this is UT, who years ago I just could not stand. But he's figured this out with a Yave style, the Yave influence, to where he has become, other than Zack Sabre Jr., the best professional wrestler in the world. I think Zach is two steps ahead of him. I think what mm. Zach is doing right now is on another level because I he Zach Sabre Jr. to me is the best wrestler in the world, period, at this point. But UT as a technical wrestler with the grappling and the strikes that he's able to produce and the way that he's able to build these matches, he could go on a blood sport and kill it. He could go on an Evolve show and kill it. He could do you know, WXW ambition, and I think he'd get over. Plug UT into any outlet in the world, and he's going to find a, made a, uh, find a way to make it work, not only because he's a great wrestler, but because he's figured out a way to grapple with grappling and having charisma. And I think that is such a key thing to where I am sucked into these UT matches on an emotional level, whereas your Greshams can't say that. I think very few wrestlers in the world, you know, Timothy Thatcher, was never able to figure that out of the United States. Now, Thatcher and UT work different kind of grappling styles, but UT's is objectively better. I mean, there's just, there's no other way to say it. I think UT- It's more pleasing. It's yeah. more pleasing to watch. You know, I mean, good for Timothy Thatcher for rolling around on the map for 20 minutes in Ybor City, Florida, but, you know, UT's doing this in front of big crowds and a big-time promotion and is having big-time success. So more power to him. I thought this match was phenomenal. I gave it four and a quarter. I have no issue with your four and a half rating. I actually talk myself down. I, I I have a tendency of if I'm debating between a higher and a lower ranking, if I have any doubt, I drop the ranking. That's fair. And there was a moment, really, it was the uh, that Jumbo Nokachi Gatame into the Bien Yave that I was like, this might. I was starting getting the the ink, the itching in the back of my head that you get when you're like, okay, I'm seeing something that's just otherworldly. Sadly. The match was, if this match went on another 10 minutes, I probably would have gone higher just because I feel like they could have kept up that pace. But I, I went four and, a, four and a half. It's easily that my favorite match on the show. I thought it was just splendid. And it's something that even for people who aren't Dragon System people, they would love this match. I've started to recommend it to my friends. Recommend it to like Aaron Bentley, who hates Dragon Gate kind of style stuff. And I'm like, hey, bud, you need to watch this match. This is up your alley. You tease yourself, wrestler. Well... Not to step onto my pedestal, but I will. But, you know, Shingo Takagi was hyped by you and me and by Alan and by mm-hmm. Rick and Joe for a decade. And nobody listened. And then he waltzed into New Japan and became everybody's favorite wrestler. Shima is a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame shoe-in that will probably get in after the voting ends this year because he's headlined All Elite Wrestling and he's got a bigger profile. I'm not, it's not a matter of we're cool because we like this promotion that nobody talks about. It's a matter of the fact that Dragate is so good and their wrestlers are so polished and talented. And time and time again, when they migrate to other promotions, either for part time gigs or to move promotions full time, or even Dragate USA, when they were given a chance to showcase their wrestling in front of an audience that paid attention from 2009 to loosely 2012, I think 2013 and 14, they stopped caring altogether. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, they always win. Dragon Gate wrestlers have constantly won, and it's the few people that care enough about this promotion to know how good they are 
that then it's a great thing to see when they shine for the rest of the wrestling world. But yeah, there's I have no doubts that if Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 2 features a UT match, that he's going to come away being one of the favorite wrestlers of the weekend. That's just how Dragon Gate wrestlers operate. And he's only 25 years old. Phenomenal. Just, 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 just to put a cap on this UT holography that we've been doing, he's only 25 years old. So the rest of the card, there were four other matches. We'll not spend an hour on them just because there's not a whole lot to talk about other than this next one. This next one was the pay-per-view debut of Dragon Gate's version of the Strong Machine Army. We had Strong Machine J, F, and G go against the Tri-Vanguard pairing of Kagatora, Yosuke Santa Maria, and Kai. With J gained the win with his windmill suplex, the Majin Fusha Gatame on Yosuke Santa Maria. And I think we've been around the bush long enough about this. Uh, this has been a fun run. Uh, Jay is a special wrestler who has stuff down at a precocious level. But there's only so much gas left in the tank, and I think it's about to go on fumes. I gave their debut match at April's Cork and Hall Show four stars, and they wrestled a, a natural vibes trio. I think it was Horiguchi, Susumu, and maybe even Casey, I think, was the third guy. But I gave the debut match four stars, which I don't know how many wrestlers you can say that about that in their tried-and-true debut match in front of an audience. You know, it was a legitimate great match. Uh, the problem is is that Dragon Gate had, I think, seven shows air from the Corkin to Dead or Alive. They, they had a lot of stuff they tape, and it just so happened that those shows weren't that good anyways. No, they but, weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of DMs from Mike this weekend talking about how dry those shows were, and I was like, I know, I know, I saw them too. <laughs> um, the best match on any of these shows was UT versus Yuki Yoshioka. I'll just put it that way. Go back to that Fukuoka show, watch that, skip over the rest. Yes, um, but I've seen the Strong Machines match multiple times now. And I like the twin magic spots that they do. I like the fact that uh, I'll Shikara them, I'll unmask them. Don Fuji and Gama seem to be having fun doing this role. But I've seen this match now. And it is mildly concerning that they've only been on the roster for a month. And I'm kind of sick of them already. But it just seems like each time we're getting lesser and lesser returns from someone who... Look, with the connection to Super Strong Machine being his his father, maybe he spent time in the New Japan Dojo and bounced to Drangate. We don't know that for sure, but he clearly has raw talent that is there. And I'm I'm fascinated by how he ended up in this place. I'm fascinated by the fact that he's been able to assimilate himself. But I'm ready for something new. And this match was fine. I thought it was yeah, I thought it was good, really. Uh, but it's the last version of this match that I need to see. Yeah, and the sad thing is, now that we've Chikara them, I'll, I'll talk about it. Fuji's lost some significant weight over the last month or so. Like, a, it might be the fact that he's actually wearing something with a strap that's kind of hiding his gut. But the two of them have been more motivated than they've been for the last two years. And I could tell why. They are people that were kids when Super Strong Machine was around. And, you know, it, that was a very uh, famous character. But it's gotten to a point now where it's just like, okay... Jay is something special. I've heard that basically New Japan said that New Japan and his dad had a talk and said, hey, I feel like that this kid would do better in Dragon Gate, I guess might be because of his height. And they said, okay, we give you your blessing. So he never even hit the dojo there from what okay. I've heard. All right. That's very interesting then. 
So this is, I mean, I'm just more interested, like, I would be interested in seeing a team with Strong Machine J and Ben K just to see how they would be. You know, I, like, I'm at that point with this team. And I went three and a quarter on this. It just was, it was what it was. I mean, the Tri-Vanguard team was good in this match, but they're, these teams are always kind of good. They didn't have Yosuke do her gay panic thing that much, which was kind of nice. I like Yosuke more as a straight wrestler than as the gimmick. But it just was seemed like that Strong Machine J and the Strong Machine Army have kind of run their course. Yes, absolutely. So I don't think there's much else really to talk about this match. I, I can't remember anything else from this match. I mean, can you? No. 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 But the, uh, the match before, mm-hmm. what's, what's your take on it? Because this was Masada Yoshino and Kaito Ishida versus Aten Benkei. And I almost gave this match four stars. I, I gave it three flat just because it just felt like it was a character match to me. I, I see your logic. I've read your review about why it's four, ma- four stars. I don't, I, I don't begrudge you for thinking about notebooking it. It just, was, it just was a match to me that played up so much of the R.E.D. dissension. That was just like, okay, all right, this is what this match is. It was nice to see Yoshino get a win with Lightning Spiral. That hasn't yeah. happened in like the last few years. But it was an interesting match. I... Ishida was great in it because Ishida is a great wrestler at this point. And I don't know, maybe if they took out all the RED dissension, I would have liked this match a little bit more. Look, if you, if you're don't have a lot of time and you, you want to watch the show before King of Gate starts and you don't want to fall behind on that, you don't need to watch this match. It's not essential viewing, but in the moment I was so wrapped up in how I thought the RED ascension Dissension, rather, was so well done and so well-timed. And then you had this thing of Ashita and Ata are, are an interesting pairing. They do a lot. And then Ashita and Ben K going at it really interested me. I really want to see like a like a hype singles match from those two, those two. And then you had Yoshino and Ata who are wrestling each other on the Cork and Hall show that we're going to talk about in just a minute. And they had, you know, decent chemistry together. I have no idea what that match is going to be like. But the <laughs> team match, it really worked. And there was just, I just, I love matches like this. This was just an undercard tag match that featured a lot of kicking and told a good story and had some, you know, storyline, you know, elements at play. Sure. It was terrific. But I do not begrudge your three stars at all. Yeah, it, it really was one of the things that... I, I kind of got a sense that I was like, okay, this is what it is. And interestingly enough, Ishida and Ben K are in the same block, and there will be in a televised match in Hokkaido during King of Gate. Okay, that's good to know. So that's we'll have, we'll have that look forward to as well. Yeah. But, yeah. So match two, Sakuri Chikawa and Sachioko Boy versus Sairyu and Kness. It was exactly what this match you think it was. It was kind of funny. Do you have any thoughts about it? I actually briefly do. And, and okay. there's two things I want to bring up, which one – and I mentioned this in the review, but I was going back a few months ago and I was watching some stuff from Dragon Gates 2016 and specifically the unit disbands match from February 4th, 2016. And I just forgot that Sashi Hoko Boy played such a key role in the company for a few months and that like within Voices of Wrestling, like we really wanted this Shingo versus Sashi Hoko Boy squash. Oh, match. yeah. It was like a real thing. And then he's just not that now and I don't care about him and no one really cares about him, but it's just one of those funny things to look back on. Of like, he was so hot for a little bit of time when it's just, you know, look that, you know, he was never going to peak super highly, but you know, he had one hell of a peak given, you know, his circumstances as a wrestler 
And then the other note that I had was just, you know, I like Ryo Saito as an undercard comedy act, and my least favorite wrestler in the world is Ryo Saito main event comedy act. Um, it, you know, you just look at the state of this company where last year he was the one that got his head shaved in the main event, which, you know, young boy Saito, that character was kind of funny, but kind of like Strong Machine, I got over it very quickly. Yeah. And he was just, he's a wrestler that I really liked and used to talk about how he was underrated and deserved another main event shot at like 2015, 2016. And man, did I, did I regret that? Cause he really pushed me away from the company for such a long time. But in this role, he's fine. This match was funny. I actually thought the finish was super clever. Yeah. That uh, was a good finish from them where they did a double pin on to the stalker Sachi team after a moonsault press. That was tremendous. Yeah. Really good stuff. But that is, I, I another one of these matches where I think we've now talked about it for longer than the match actually happened. Yeah. Well, you did. I just agree with credit. <laughs> All um, right, my fault. <laughs> I'll toss in a note, kind of piggybacking on you. If you've not seen the Amigo tag versus uh, Yokosuka Chome tag match, I think from 2015 or 2016. Yeah, uh, April 2015 Cork and Show. I think April 9th, 2015, but I'm just going off the top yeah. of my head there. It was, you would think that Sachioko Boy was either Ricky Morton or Robert Gibson. He was so over. But That is accurate. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's pretty much all. The finishing pin was funny, and you know, it was a typical second match comedy, and it was good to have Rio Saito in this rather than further up the card. So I'm okay with that. Uh, the opener was an eight person tag with his, this very mixed teams. One side was Ginky Horiguchi, Punch Tomonaga, and Brother Yashi, along with Problem Dragon Monday Ryu, going up against Jason Lee, Yuki Yoshioka. Dragon Daya and Keisuke Okuda. Yoshioka got the pin on Problem Dragon in 5 minutes and 38 seconds. And I thought this was a really fun opener, to be honest. Yeah, I've said my piece on Yoshioka. I think he's terrific, and I think we're going to see a lot more of him outside of openers this year. For me, uh, Keisuke Okuda, obviously someone that I had my eye on because he is someone that I, I knew the name, but I don't think I had ever seen him work before he started this May run with Dragon Gate. I really enjoy just his different presence within the company. And then I've still got my eyes on Dragon Daya because I still think there's potential there. But mm -hmm. where you are the number one Hayu Watanabe fan, I think you are the president of the Dragon Daya Haters Club. Is that correct? I just, uh, I think being named Dragon and Dragon Gate is something you have to earn. And I don't think he's earned it. Interesting. All right. I, I think that he has potential, but I think that he's, I I would have much rather him be someone that debuted as a just under his real name than disappear for a month or so. And then suddenly we get Dragon Daya. So he got the ring time before becoming the character. Look, I don't want to air any dirty laundry here, but <laughs> I get a lot of salty DMs from Mike after these Cork and Hall shows. <laughs> unimpressed with Dragon Daya he is and how, oh, you know, he's playing with his mask again. His mask has gotten better. He's got a mask. I don't have that complaint anymore. <laughs> I think he's a fine wrestler. I would love to be able to sit down and kind of ask, was this the tra trajectory for him initially? Was to have a big debut and then just work openers? Or did he debut and then they went, oh shit, not the guy we thought he was. Back to the openers. Because he really did come in with a lot of hype and – from a booking standpoint, I don't know if he's, or I know he hasn't lived up to that, but in ring, I still think he's fine. But I just, you know, we've, 
we see eye to eye about a lot of guys. The Dia thing, you've, you've always been much harsher on him, and I totally understand your reasoning, but I just wanted to check in to see how you thought he did in this opener. I'll say that when he got shoved down the card after that match against Ada and Conda, I was at about a 2 out of 10 for him in my positivity. I'm up to about a 5. Okay, all right. Hey, I mean, that's higher than I feel about a lot of people who are higher up on the card, Dragon Gate. I'm, <laughs> I'm eyeing the Triangle Gate team right now. I just, I, it's one of the things that also I feel like that him getting hurt and him having a pretty bad case of influenza stunted his development. And we've seen time and time again in Dragon Gate that when young guys don't necessarily get the ring time, it stagnates their development. So yeah, absolutely, I give him the benefit of doubt in that regard. I still, the path that I laid out of maybe he just doesn't, maybe they gave him some this mask too early because I'm someone that I do hold that being a dragon in Dragon Gate as a very high mark for someone. And I, I'm not closing the door on him. I mean, he's less than seven months in his career. I just hope that, you know, he gets his ring time and he improves and that he can deserve being, at least in my mind, I don't think he even knows who either of us are or knows English or anything like this. So I'm just talking to the void that he can deserve the uh, dragon name. So we'll see. We'll see. But over. Hmm? No, I, 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 I don't disagree. I, I mean, I, I also come from a place that Dra- darkness dragon and dragon kid is my favorite match in dragon system history. So that, the, 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 this is a little bit of a shot across the bow at me from the Kobe <laughs> office. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But that does it for our review of Dead or Alive. It will be up on the Dragon Gate Network until the 13th. If you have a Dragon Gate Network subscription and you haven't watched it, what are you doing? You need to go watch the show because as we've talked about it now for about an hour, 15 minutes, it's an incredible show. It's one of the better shows that they've put on in recent time. Uh, do you have any other thoughts overall about the card before we start looking ahead? That's a great watch top to bottom. Uh, it's a big pay-per-view, but it really flew by. I mean, I watched it. I watched everything through the Triangle Gate match uh, before I left for class Monday morning, and then I left class and watched the final two matches and still had plenty of my day left. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun show. I don't think it's show of the year contender. It never really hit that level, but... I mean, I, at the, I say that, but I've got two matches at three and three quarters and three matches at four stars or higher. So this show obviously did something right. I really recommend, um, if you're a Dragon Gate fan, you haven't seen it, fix that immediately. And <laughs> if you're not a Dragon Gate fan but looking to get in, this is a great show to just just watch the show or just watch Pac Dragon Kid and watch the main event. Just mm-hmm. do something with it. But this is one of those, you know, jump on it's a life preserver to dragon gate fandom watch the show yeah this is a show that can get you back in the company if you're on the outs it's just a lot of potential and a lot of things being realized on it so yep that does it for us talking about dead or alive but cases you well known what happens after dead dead or alive each year it is the king of gate tournament yes it is and it will be kicking off on may 9th i feel like probably best just to talk about the guys overall before we get into the cork and card the a block is naruki doi kz punch tomonaga ut kazuma sakamoto and rio saito what are your opinions about block a who are you looking at as a guy that could either run away with it or might be a sleeper pick in the first block of the tournament 
Well, I think the obvious favorite here is going to be KZ. Uh, there is, I guess, an outside chance that Doi takes the block. We had talked about before Dead or Alive of, you know, what the hell is the Dreamgate match going to be at Kobe World? Uh, we had talked about maybe a Pac versus KZ rematch. Uh, we had talked about Ben K turning and then facing Pac, which is what ended up happening. There was a rumor going around that Ato was going to get the big push. And then I was just brainstorming other matches, and the other one that was out there was Pac versus Doi, which mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense. I don't really think I want it, but I can't. Even now, I still can't really rule it out. But even with that in mind, I still think it's KZ's block. Um, Doi KZ is on the first night in Cork and Hall, so I guess that's going to tell us a lot about these blocks. And then I've got uh, on May 24th, KZ versus UT. Oh, boy. Tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to air on Dragon Gate Network. Uh, that's the match from this block that I think is going to steal the show. I think that match looks terrific. And no Punch Tamanaga matches are making tape either, which is a plus. It's like they're they're planning their schedule around us, <laughs> <laughs> which they should do. Yeah, which they should do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, just off the top, like I agree with you, the two obvious front runners in this block are Doi and KZ. Casma, uh, I wouldn't count out, and UT. I, I mean, I don't think he'll get the wins there, but I think he might be the most outstanding person in the block. You've already mentioned a match that I was really stoked into seeing. And that KZ versus UT on the 12th, there is a match between KZ and Kazma Sakamoto that I'm weirdly into. They'll be in Sambo Hall, which damn it, I've just talked myself into watching another Sambo Hall show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, Kobe Sambo Hall used to kind of be the number two venue for Dragon Gate behind Corkin for their television tapings. Um, has produced a number of great matches over the years. Not anymore. Those combo hall shows are dire and dead, and we watch them because we really love this company, and that is the only reason we do. But there was, I mean, I hell, I skipped almost all of the uh, April's Kobe Sambo Hall show, but no, that that uh, KZ versus Sakamoto match looks great. I'm actually this May 12th show looks awesome, so we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So that's about it out of the A block. It's I wouldn't call that one the block of death. I feel like that one that there's pretty clear front runners and people who might get the wooden spoon there. Is there, is there Mm -hmm. any shot just to break this down on a, on a deep level? Doi has a shot. Let's go through this with everybody when we get to their block. So Mm -hmm. Doi has a small shot. I think Casey is the favorite. Yeah. No shot for punch. Yeah. Like a one percent chance for UT winning the block. I mean, is that is one percent too generous? I think that if there is a dark horse in this block, you'd either have to say him or or Rio Saito. But oh, I think Rio right. Saito because I think it would be UT or Sakamoto. I could okay. see them pushing Sakamoto hard in this. Right. Um, he. I don't think he's going to beat KZ. But if Sakamoto beats Doi, I don't really think that would shock me. No. Um, no. And then Saito, I, oh man, I don't see that happening, and I, I don't think I want it to. But oh, I, don't, I don't want it to happen. I could just see there that they push Rio Saito a lot farther than I would, but I could just see yeah. that happening. So KZ and Doi are favorites, and I oh, think absolutely going to come out of the block. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So the B block has Masato Yoshino, Yosuke Santa Maria, Susumu Yokosuka, 
Yuki Oshioka making his tournament debut, Ada and Yazushi Kanda. And this is an, there's a lot of people in this block that I'm excited about, but the one person I'm really excited about, we're only going to get one match out of. And that's Yuki Yoshioka. Uh, and he will be facing, again, at Kobe Sambo Hall, he'll be facing Susumu Yokosuka. Uh, so, Case, who are your favorites and and what matches are you looking forward to in this show or this well, block? Yeah, it's, it's the one you mentioned there. Uh, Susumu versus Yuki Yoshioka is a ridiculous match that I have no doubt that's going to deliver. It's crazy to say this, but I feel like the result is really up in the air there. It wouldn't shock me at all if Yoshioka pinned uh, Susumu and then got a Brave Gate shot from it. Mm-hmm. it. Really, I think that's a 50-50 match right now. Um, we're going to get uh, Yoshino versus Eita on the May 9th Cork and Hall show. That's a match that I just have no feel for how that's going to go because I know, right? <laughs> we could like Eita might work hard. It also might just be a backdrop for Red interference, which wouldn't shock me at all. Like I really, it's weird. I have no feel for this match. It's also it's their second ever singles match. The only other singles match they had was King of Gate 2014 in an untelevised match where Yoshino defeated Eita. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen these guys in a million tag matches, but uh, a Yoshina Eita singles match, I just don't know what I'm going to get from that. You just don't know what you're going to get from Eita in general in King of Gate time. No, that's, that's a huge problem. He's someone that's had two of my match of the tournaments, one against Akira Tozawa, one against Asumi Yokosuka. But Which we should mention that match is happening in Osaka on May 11th. That will also be on Dragon Gate Network. Right. So it's just Ada is the X factor in this block because I feel like that Yoshino, whenever he's in a block, he is, I don't want to say instantly a favorite, but he is definitely one of the people that you should keep your eye on as he's someone that often prevails well in these tournaments as he is actually the reigning King of Gate champion. And then you have Susumu and Susumu again. He is a recent King of Gate winner as well. And then after that, you have Ada, who is X-Factor. Uh, Yoshioka, who might go, as you said, he might win that one match and lose everything else. Or he could just go oh for Yosuke Maria, who's not in any televised matches, which it should tell you how well she's going to do. And Konda. So. Okay, yeah. So out of this... I- is Ada the favorite coming out of this block? I mean, Ada, Yoshino, I think Susumu, Yoshioka, Kanda, Maria, maybe yeah. in that order. But I, you know, this is one where where KZ feels like a definitive winner of the A block. But you know, Susumu is a champion. Yoshino is <laughs> Yoshino, and the powers that be love Ata more than anybody else loves Ata. So there's always a shot, you know, no matter what block he's in, he's always a threat to win. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that we probably should have said this off the top. There's going to be quarterfinals this year. So yeah. it could be that Ada finishes second in the block and I could see him, them, them doing that so he can face Binke. Cause I feel like that's a match that will happen in the knockout portion. So yeah. I, I could see that happening, but yeah, no, I feel like that, Really, Ada, Susumu, and Yoshino, I guess two out of the three of those I expect to come out of this block. I think that's fair to say. I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So block C, this is kind of my block of death because I can see it going a lot of different ways. You have Yamato, Kagatora, Ginki Horiguchi, Kaido Ishida, Ben K, and Takashi Yoshida. 
what are your what are your initial thoughts here? I think Binkay is going to have to come out of the block regardless. I don't know if it's in first and second, but I think he has to come out of it. I okay, think- see, I think he's a slam dunk to win the block. Okay, I think I think he might be because I I, I don't know why I can't rule out Doy from the A block. Mm-hmm. So to me, Binkay is the the most obvious block winner there is. I would be stunned if Yamato or Horiguchi win out in that block. I just don't with the way Dead or Alive ended, with you know, this really with the the way this tournament is scheduled now, with it being the build to Kobe, and I think we're both assuming that Ben K is gonna headline a world at this point. Mm-hmm. He's I to me he's gotta win the block. But uh, like you were saying, you've got Horiguchi in there who's always a threat. Who knows what they're gonna do with Kagatora. They could push Ashida to the moon. Mm-hmm. Takashi Yoshida's in this block and he is a threat of sorts. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Yamato. So yeah, there's huh. Yeah. I still think Ben K is the favorite, but I have no idea how he's going to climb that mountain to get there. Right. And just looking at the uh, match schedule, the only person that I feel like the match schedule points out as probably a non-factor is Kagatora. And I feel like that he would be one of the people that we wouldn't expect to get out of this block anyways. Yeah, unless they were going to do some miracle run with him, which I think that time has passed. Right. Um, I think I think he's post prime now. I'm really not. I was never the biggest fan of his, but I'm really not wowed with his output currently. Um, we do get it's Yamato versus Ben K headlining the Cork and Hall show on May 9th. I think that match is going to give us a lot of hints about the way the rest of this block is going to play out. Right, and outside of that match, I think that. I'm excited about Kaido Ishida versus Binkei. They never cross paths as members of Maximum. That's also going to be happening on that Hokkaido triple shot. I think that's going to be a cool match as well. And, you know, <sighs> Yoshida is such a weird person, and he has chemistry with Yamato. So that might be interesting as well. Yeah, I don't... There's, a, there's an Ishida versus, uh, Ishida versus Yoshido match that's going to air that... You know, if Takashi Yoshida is going to have a good match at this point, a good singles match, mm. uh, I would nominate Yamato, Ishida, or UT to be the participants. And, you know, Ishida's in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very interesting block. You're, we're going to get a Yamato Genki Horiguchi match, which I'm actually kind of excited about, even though I think Yamato's been incredibly lackluster lately. Um, but, yeah, I, it's got to be Ben K as the one to me. I think that one's mm-hmm. clear. You've got Yamato as one half of the Twin Gate champions. You've got Yoshida as a third of the Triangle Gate. And then Horiguchi, I, I, I'm going to rule out Yoshida. I don't think Yoshida, as much as I would love him to, I don't, I don't think he's a threat. Right, and, I agree with you. Yeah, and then just because of the history of Dragon Gate and the way they book these tournaments, you can't really rule out Horiguchi. Yeah, Genki Horiguchi, for those who aren't familiar... Over one night over the El Numero Uno tournament, got over and won the tournament just by doing backslides. And that's that that's the reason that made him the made man that he is to this day. Yes, the Horiguchi that you see on this that are live show is directly influenced by you know, what was it, May sixth, two thousand three or something, whatever it was around that time, uh, yeah. Uh, no, um April twenty second, two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Hate that I know that, not bragging about the fact that I know the El Numero Uno two thousand three date off the top of my head, but that that's Horiguchi's career was El Numero Uno 2003. 
made him what he is. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, 16 years later, I can't, I can't rule him out completely. Yeah. And, but I'm, and- I'm going to take, I'm going to take Ben K. I think Yoshida is going to be that second guy. Yeah, I just – they're going to need to have some heels in the quarterfinals. Which I think is going to manifest in Ata mm-hmm. and Yoshida, although I guess Shimizu's there too. No, I, I, I it's going to be Ata and Yoshida, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. Uh, it, it's just really tough. I mean, Kaido Ishida, he's someone that I think we have to roll out, but this would be a good time for him to – make it out of the blocks of King of Gate. You yeah, it'd know? be awesome if they did it. Yeah, it'd be good for his development this time. Kagatora, I'm with you. He's clearly cycled down, and he's now opener or fall post again. And then Horiguchi, you can never count out the person who summons powers from heavens to backslide people. So, yeah. It, this, this is why I said this is the block of death. This is the hardest one. Whereas block D is kind of the wide open block in a lot of ways. With yeah. like... Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, one match that's going to also open opening night, I think they'll direct this in a lot of ways. Block D has Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, Masaki Mochizuki, Shun Skywalker, Kai making his debut, and Big R Shimizu. And interesting, interesting block setup. A lot of matches here that haven't happened before in a singles context. I mean, we are getting Kai in this, which could be. Good or bad, and then Shimizu. Yeah, yeah, I wonder which one it's going to be. <laughs> probably, probably not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I look. There are people out there that are fans of Kai, and there are people out there that are fans of Kai and Dragon Gate. More power to you. I don't <laughs> get it. I don't. I've never understood Kai. I still don't like him in this company. I'm cool with Hiroshi Yamato popping in. Cosmo Sakamoto has done a great job. I'm not into this Kai thing at all. Um, I mean, look, who else are you going to put in the spot? Are you going to put in, you know, Don Fuji under a mask? No. Um, you know, Flamita's not going to be in it, although Flamita being in it would be very cool. That'd um, be interesting, especially in this block. Yes. Um, you know, Dragon D is not ready. Um, you're not going to put in, you know, Brother Yashi or a Problem Dragon. Kness is too broken down. There, I. Why not? It's too. They don't see him. What, see, Watanabe, I would buy him being in this. Watanabe, I think, would be a much stronger pick than Kai. Although I understand why in this block they don't have him in there. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, I I don't like that he's here. I'm just not I'm not into Kai. And I, he has, you know, one or two televised matches. I know he's got a match with Mochizuki that's gonna air, which is Mochizuki, so I'll take it. Right. But I man, I just all this time, well, he's got a, he's got, so let's see. So Kai's got the Mochizuki match on the 11th. Um, he's got a big R Shimizu match that's going to air on the 24th. That's got interesting. A, yes. That, see, that's one where I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then he's also got on the 26th, he's wrestling Shun Skywalker. That match is going to make tape two. So we're getting that three Kai be- matches, which I just, I just don't get it. Yeah. And you have someone like Jason who I think has, quietly had that Kagatora in 2013 role down pat you know he's always solidly good he's sometimes the best person in his matches and he's just not pushed to his ability i feel like yeah it's a very good comparison 
And he has this match that's happening in Hong Kong on the 16th with Masaki Mochizuki. And that's his only match that's getting televised. And that might be the block, the match out of this block I'm most interested in. Like it's going to be on Dragon Gate Network, but it might be up in three months. I was just knowing the network, it's gonna it's gonna go up the day after King of Gate ends. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's a match I'm really interested in. Uh, I do have a really funny Kai story for you. Go for it. Okay. So I was up in uh, New York for the uh, WrestleMania weekend, and it just so happened that before the Ring of Honor show, a group of us, uh, including. Uh, my co-hosts on Everything Elite, uh, Nate Epitasis, Aaron Bentley, and actually we managed to get Aaron Taub out. We decided to go to a House of Glory show. And why did we go to that showcase? I'm assuming because Aaron Taub needed to pass out uh, Democratic Socialist handouts, but I could be wrong. He did have his AOC hoodie on. He did have that hoodie on. He's, that is a man who's aware of his brand. <laughs> Aaron lives such an amazing life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> he, he knows his brand, and technically it was in a, the constituency. But on that show, there was a, the reuniting of Juicy Product versus product, Private Party, which sadly we had to leave to get to Madison Square Garden. And, and then this was the only show that Kai was announced for the entire weekend. And all the while, I was like, I wonder what they're going to do with Kai. I wonder what they're going to do with Kai. Do you, I, do you know what they did with Kai? Okay. Well, they put him in a, in a scramble match, didn't they? Yes, they put him in a six-man match with someone doing a Crash Holly gimmick, doing like the, the littlest heavyweight, a uh, guy whose name was Big Daddy Cruz, who did like a lover gimmick, and like two other people. And Kai did absolutely nothing. Ironically, I was shouting my head off for Kai. He looked in our section because we all were like, oh, Kai's here. We have to... Watch Kai. Yeah, let him know. Yeah, he gave us the look of what the fuck are you people doing here? <laughs> he was like, it was like, I this is beneath me, and y'all are making this very apparent that this is beneath <laughs> me. That I'm in the scuzziest venue in New York. One that I was very surprised to see Rosie Agawa the night before walk around in Louis Vuitton slip-ons because the floor was sticking to my shoes. Oh, yeah. And Kai was there. So that was my Kai story. That was the I- only that's terrific. You should have handed them a $20 bill and taken a page out of my playbook. Sadly, we got there too late and Kai was not at the uh, was not at the stand because I really wanted to get a photo with Kai. Like my <laughs> like like I did the start and meet and greet thing cuz I knew like, oh, the money goes to the people and and I've become like a fan of of Konami who is Oscar's trainee. And I was like, okay, I'll go do that one. And I was like, okay, the only other person I'm going to get a mark pick with is with Kai. And I want to convince him to throw up the Tri Vanguard thing. <laughs> Came out in Tri Vanguard t-shirt, by the way. Oh, That's hell yeah. Represent <laughs> Kai, one of the good brothers. He's, yeah. Uh, Kai is really the Luke Gallows of Dragon Gate. Uh, I'm sure he's a delightful human to be around, but I have no interest in watching him wrestle. I think that's a very apt comp. I don't want to run with that one. I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, that's it for Mike's Kike Torner. Uh, getting back to this block, it's just – I think Shun, I think we could say Shun Skywalker gets out. Yeah, Shun's going to make it. It's that, it's it's that slot. second spot that I have no feel for because I, I don't think it's going to be Dragon Kid. Dragon Kid never gets a ton of respect in King of Gate, and we just saw his Dream Gate match happen. And as you've pointed out, we've seen a lot of hyped Dragon Kid matches in the past year now. So I Cycle the boy down. Yes. So this is going to be his cycling down, and then I'm sure he'll get cycled right back up for Kobe World. That's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Lee, no chance. He's going to fetch at the bottom of the block. Mochizuki, 
Oh, look, I, I think Skywalker versus Mochizuki, I could very easily see that ending in a draw. Yeah. And then I could see them being tied when this block is all said and done. Right. Um, that wouldn't shock me at all. And I, and I don't mean that from a, from a fantasy booking perspective as much as, you know, how are they, they going to tell the Skywalker story? A draw in that opening night wouldn't shock me at all. Um, Kai's one half of the Twin Gate champions. Yeah. Kai, Kai is going to be pushed in this block, and he's got three televised matches, which says a lot about Kai's output in this tournament, that he's going to be pushed. So at the very least, Kai's going to finish, I think, ahead of Dragon Kid and ahead of Jason Lee. And that leaves Shimizu, who I love, who Shimizu always gets pushed hard in King of Gate and always has terrific singles matches. But if I'm putting Kai and Big R Shimizu in a ring and I'm thinking like Dragon Gate, Kai's probably winning that match. And if Mochizuki and Skywalker end up advancing, they're going to end up a point ahead of Kai. You know, they're going to end up really close by. But I, I'm going to run with Mochizuki and Skywalker coming out of this block, I think. I see your logic. The one thing that makes me think Kai's going through is that he has the last match of the block. Does he? Against Dragon Kid on six on six two. Oh, that's a winnable match for him too. Yeah. So I think that it's probably gonna be Kai and Shun and Shun Skywalker. There might be a playoff match between Mochizuki and Shun for the second spot if they do that draw like you're talking about, and I can see that happening as well. But I think I think probably it'll end up being Kai and Shun Skywalker. And yeah, this is just like a weird block. I mean, because Dragon Kid's only on TV once, which is weird. Uh, Big R Shimizu is only on TV twice, which is also weird. Okay, well th- then that's so Shimizu is not going through. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's going through. So so Kai's got the Mochizuki match on the eleventh. Mm-hmm. He could beat Mochizuki. I think that match is real 50-50. Yeah. Um, he's got Jason Lee on the nineteenth. He's going to beat Jason Lee. He's got Shimizu on the 24th. Like I said, I think Kai has that match. So at that point, you've got the Skywalker match, which I could I, I think Skywalker will win that. I think that's 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 his a safer bet. Yeah. And then he's got that Dragon Kid match. Yeah. He's gonna beat Dragon Kid. So yeah, he's you know, I don't think. That, I mean, that would be interesting if his only two losses were to Mochizuki and Skywalker. And that eliminates him that way. And that eliminates him that way, but he's not losing to Dragon Kid. He's not losing to Jason Lee. I think with Shimizu being positioned the way he is in terms of TV, he's going to beat Shimizu. Right. So I, Kai could come out of this very easily now. Do I think Kai's going to go to the King of Gate finals or even semifinals? Oh, I, I put my faith in the Lord above to say, no, that's not going to happen. But quarterfinals feels very realistic for Kai. Yeah, yeah. And I think sadly that means who I would call the Noho Hank of Dragon Gate Big R Shimizu is not going to advance. No, which is a shame because Big R Shimizu uh, brings it every year for King of Gate. I've said for years now that Shimizu's peak is as good as you know, almost anybody's when he's on, I think he's one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. Um, I think is a tier below your Okada's and your Zack Sabre Jr.'s. But I think that, you know, if those are a plus guys, your solid A's are Shimizu's on that list when he wants to be, mm-hmm. and they're going to go with Kai instead. 
So that's, you know, something I got to wrestle with now. It's it, th this block is the hardest one for me to figure out. And I, because really it's those last four people that can go through the maximum kit guys aren't going to. Yeah. Yeah. That is correct. But yeah, because you know, you've got KZ, like I said, feels definitive in that A block with Doi as a second place guy. Mm -hmm. Yoshino and Atom feeling confident about those picks in the B block. Uh, C's a little more open, but Ben K is at least a guarantee. Like that's a home run. Mm -hmm. And D, you know, again, you'd think Skywalker, but if Mochizuki and Kai leave this block, is that really going to shock you? Not at all. Yeah. This I mean, is a very, that D block is very, very interesting. Yeah. And it's going to lead to a very interesting tournament. I feel like it's, it'll be interesting because like you said before, I could see how Yoshioka could beat Susumu and that could lead to a brave gate shot. I could see someone beating Kai who doesn't win that block and making that to the twin gate opportunity. And I just think there's a lot to go on here in this tournament. So we'll hear off the top of your head. Okay. What's, What's the direction for Shimizu at this point? Because he just lost his tag team partner. Right. So what's what's his deal? Is he going to team with Ata now? Because if they want a Shimizu rematch for the tag titles, then sure, he could beat Kai, and then I think that might put Kai out of contention. But, what I mean, who's he going to team with? You know, you've got Triangle Gate champions. They're still trying to do a thing with Ata. What that thing is, we don't know. And he just kicked his own tag team partner out, partner out of his unit. Right. So I, I just talked myself into Kai's beating Shimizu again. So I, yeah, I, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Yeah, it's wild. This is probably the more, other than the, uh, the finish that we think about who could win the tournament. I think that this is one of the more w wide open tournaments, at least on who are they going to be pushing towards of Kobe World. It's just weird, and I like how wide open it is. There's a lot of stuff that's interesting. Sadly, some of the stuff that. I could find more interesting. It's not going to make tape, but it's just with having 24 people now, it's very interesting tournament. We're going to get to see some guys get like their first big shot here. And it's going to be an interesting tournament. And of course I talk myself up each year and lately I've been disappointed by it, but I'm going to stay confident and stay optimistic about King of gate 2019. Who's your pick to win? I think it's got to be Binke. Yeah. I, Again, uh, the blocks, I, I can't get a feel for how they're going to play out, but I I would be really stunned if Ben K doesn't win this tournament. Yeah. It would just, we you know, we talked at the beginning of the show about the dramatic ending of Dead or Alive and how he was really beaten down, and it just seems like it would be an extra punch in the gut if he left this tournament without a trophy and a, a title shot at Kobe World. Yeah, I mean, he's also the person who had two title shots in one year last year. So he hasn't had a title shot in about seven months now. And obviously, they're going to go full court press with the guy. I mean, they don't do the turns for dead or alive for your bottom tier wrestlers, for your lost posts. They do them for your main eventers. So. Yeah, yeah. no, it's good. I, I, he's the guy they should push. You know, we've said that since he debuted, that he's a future Dreamgate champion. Right. I, I fully support the decision to push him, and I hope that's the route they go. Yeah. So I think now is probably a good time to talk about the three shows that are coming up this week that will be hitting the hitting Dragon Gate Network. There's shows from basically what were their top three spots. Now is arguably their top spot, their second top spot, and then number four as they're going to be going through Tokyo, Osaka, and 
Kobe Sumbo Hall. So just running down the cards first off, the uh, the Cork and Hall show is on the 9th. As always, it'll be on Dragon Gate Network. The opener is an 10-person tag with Susumi Yokosuka, Punch Tomonaga, Brother Yashi, Kaness, Problem Dragon Monday Ryu going up against Yuki Yoshioka, Hyo Wanabe, Kota Minonora, Dragon Daya, and, and Kisuke Okuda. Do you have any thoughts about this match? Just right off the top? No, I just look forward to seeing what Okuda is going to do. Yeah, I've, I we didn't get a whole lot of him at Dead or Alive, and I'm excited to see him in more of this context. Kind of interesting how they have three members of Mochizuki Dojo and three members of uh, Natural Vibes there. So oh, That's a very good point. That's interesting. Match two is our Dragon Gate 20th Anniversary Celebration Match Volume 5 as Maraha Isapa, Ginki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito go against the returning Florida brothers. Johnson, Florida, and Jackson, Florida. Of course, they are being managed this, at this time by Daniel Mishima. Case, I love that this match is happening. And I'm just excited to see, like, this is a comedy match I'm here for. Like, how can't you get excited about the Florida Brothers reuniting and, and even Daniel Mishima, who had to retire due to the injuries showing up? This is going to be hilarious. This is going to be great. Look, everybody's got their things that they like and that they dislike. I, I'm not saying I dislike the Florida Brothers but I've never had a connection to them. I didn't watch them in real time. Um, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I've gone back and watched throughout, you know, five or six years now, um, I'm able to skip over Florida Brothers stuff. I've seen a lot of it. I'm sure it's, at, you know, for a lot of people, they love it. For me, it's fine. This is not my match to shit on, but it's not the match for me. So, Mike, enjoy it. I'll <laughs> be reviewing it, but I'm looking forward to when it's over. Would you be more excited if Kiski Sasaki shows up? Uh, 100% yes. What about if Michael Awasa? <laughs> well, that's that's more for you. I'd be excited for you at that point. <laughs> I'd be beside myself. But yeah, no, this is a match that's really for the late Toriumon, early Dragon Gate heads out there. So Yeah, I mean, well, and that's been a lot of the stuff. I mean, I'm not super <laughs> Agani, so... I was never, you know, I, I never had an emotional thing to the Florida Brothers. So a lot of the stuff has been fine. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's the Florida Brothers for me. But that's, you know, that's enough. But match yeah. three, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I've not been into the Akaniso stuff as much as others. I don't need to see Takuya Sugawara ever again. But match three, the Strong Machine Army versus Maximum, as J, F, and G will go against Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, and Kaido Ishida. And case it'll be interesting to see how much juice is left in the strong machine army bottle. Don't you think? Yeah. I like this match on paper because it's kind of three guys that have been the opposite of what they've been going against. Cause that, you know, they had the older natural vibes guys and a lot of the tribe Vanguard uh, unit for their matches at the end of April, beginning of May. So this is at least a different matchup. So I'm going to give it a shot, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think it'll be interesting to see Ishida go against Jay for the first time. I think that'll be interesting. Absolutely. But I think if they haven't been, they, it seems like at Dead or Alive, they were protecting Jay a little bit more. So we'll see. But the next match is our first King of Gate block match of the tournament is from the B block. It is the match that we were kind of had a huge question mark over when we were doing our block preview. Masato Yoshina versus Ada. Do you think we'll get good Ada? 
Lord hopes so. Uh, <laughs> there's really nothing more than I want, but I, you know, for me at least, I've said my piece on these King of Gate matches. Yeah. I just, I just hope they end up being good. Right. Yeah. And then that leads into the D block match of Masaki Mochizuki versus Shun Skywalker. We're both kind of feeling like this could be the time limit draw of the opening night. Uh, I don't really have much else to add to that. Do you? No, not at all. Yep. So the next match is probably the either the intermission or the after intermission match. And it's an interesting match, to be honest. It is another 10-person tag. It is Kai Kakatora, Yosuke San Maria, UT, and Hiroshi Yamato versus Pac, Big R Shimizu, Yuzushi Kanda, Takashi Yoshida, and Kazuma Sakamoto. This is going to be cool. Uh, I like the idea of Pac and UT being in the same ring together. And I just feel like this ends with Yosuke Santa Maria eating either a tombstone or a black arrow for the win. I, I would open up thoughts to the Tribe Vanguard team winning if Yamato was on that team, because believe it or not, it wouldn't shock me if they tried to shoehorn a Yamato Pac Dreamgate match in before Kobe World, but Yamato's not there. There's no one strong enough on the Tribe Vanguard team to pin Pac. And I don't see Kanda losing this one. Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be a Pac over a Tribe Vanguard match. Interesting match on paper. Hope UT and Pac get a lot of time. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how Hiroshi Yamato does in this higher stakes match as well, just because he's been stuck in openers, which has been a good use of him. And he's going to be singing his way out to the ring, probably be super charming. And then immediately he's probably going to get the crap kicked out of him by Pac. So that'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. So the last two matches are back to King of Gate. The A block match is Naruki Doi versus KZ. We didn't. Uh, we talked about this one kind of setting the course of the block. I don't know if there's much else really to add here. The two have some pretty good chemistry, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, no, good chemistry between these two should be a good match. Yep, and that leads us to the main event and the match we kind of labored about a little earlier, Yamato versus Benkei. I'm expecting a Benkei win or a loss that he can cut a long promo afterwards. Yeah, I would I would go for the win here. I mm-hmm. think after the, the end of General Lives, just to have just have Ben K just start destroying people. So right. I, I hope for a win and then a almost peppy go home promo from the future ace of the company. Do you think that he shows any indication on what his future unit will be at this point, or do you think that's going to be developed throughout the next few months? I think it'd be a little too soon now. I you know, I wouldn't mind it just because I, you know, I like seeing units get mixed up here and there, but I, I don't see that as being something that happens immediately afterwards. That's fair. That's fair. Well, that's the first night of three and four nights. The next show is at Edeon Arena Saka 2. The opener is Yamato in a rare opener. UT, Jason Lee, and Kisuke Okuda versus KZ, Brother Yashi, Kness, and Problem Dragon. So good to see Okuda face off against KZ. And actually, Kness, which I think could be interesting, unless he, he breaks the guy. <laughs> uh, do you have any big thoughts about this opener? No, just that Okuda is going to be in the opening match on every show this tour, and I yep. think that's something to keep an eye on. Yep, could be a tryout kind of situation, to be honest. Match two is Ginky Horiguchi versus Akashi Yoshida. I don't have any hopes out of this match. I hope Ginky gets the win with the uh, backslide from heaven. Uh, Case, do you have any other thoughts about it? Nope, no takes here. All right. Match three, Strong Machine Army versus Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, and Kaido Ishida. So they're going to be, be almost running back this match, but moving out Dragon Kid here. Uh, I don't really have much else to add about the Strong Machine Army at this point. Do you? 
Yeah, I just I will be very interested to see how much interaction Yoshino has with Strong Machine J because I think that will determine a lot of Strong Machine J's future. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of the thing to take out of this this kind of run with him as well. Match four is actually kind of a unique match. We don't see a lot of these happening without titles on the line. It's a three way tag team match: Pac and Big R Shimizu versus Ryo Saito and Shun Skywalker, and versus Benkei and Yuki Yoshioka. Yeah, I'm super into this. I think this is going to be a great match. Um, it's super different than anything we've ever seen before. I don't think Saito and uh, Shun have ever paired as a tag team. And I don't think Ben K and Yoshioka have ever paired as a tag team. So this is something new, something fresh in the middle of the card. I'm very into this match. Yeah, I don't think Ben K has, other than the that 10-man match, because he's quickly a member of Maximum or pre-Maximum. So yeah, this I think it's the first time teaming as well. So I think this could be real interesting. I wonder how much Pac's going to do as this that's his last match of his current tour. So we'll see if it's want to go home Pac or I'm just going to beat the crap out of Rio Saito because I'm here, Pac. Uh, he's, on, he's on the show on the 12th as well. Is he? Okay, yeah. I, I glossed over match four on that show. So that match will be Pac wants to go home. I would yeah. assume he tries on the 11th though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, and then that leads us to three King of Gate matches. I'm just going to run through the matches, and if you have any shot, any thoughts, feel free to chime in. The first match is from the D block, Masaki Mochizuki versus Kai. A block, Junyuruki Doi versus Kazuma Sakamoto. And then B block, Susumiya Koska versus Ada. I think Ada's going to win that main event because it is a main event match, and the other two matches have a potential to be very good or a potential to be very, very bad, and I can't get a feel for either of them. Yeah, neither can I, to be honest. All right, so the last show of this week that will be on Dragon Gate Network, at least streaming-wise, after that they're going to go dark until they are up in Hokkaido, is at our lamented Kobe Sambo Hall. The opener is Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, and Problem Dragon versus Ryo Saito, Kagatora, uh, Brother Yashi, and Kisuke Okuda. So we get to see Okuda going up against Yoshino on this match. Yeah, no, this should be this should be fun stuff. I'm gonna have my eyes on these openers uh, all tour long. Yeah, the next match, match two, is actually a match I'm kind of excited for because this one tag team has some freaky good chemistry of Kai and Ut going against Naruki Doi and Kaido Ishida. I know you kind of been bagging on Kai the show, but he has weirdly good tagging chemistry with UT. Yeah, that's an opposites attract situation there. Mm-hmm. And uh, match number two on a cork and this, or uh, on, on a Kobe Sabo Hall, this looks bizarrely fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ishida and Doi have, have been, a, been a fun team on some of the house shows as well. I mean, they've been, they have good chemistry as well. So I think this might be a sleeper match of the show. Match three is Susumi Yokosuka versus Yuki Yoshioka. This was the match that we were talking about could be a possible Brave Gate upset for Yoshioka. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Match four is the Pac go home. Maybe this is the getaway day match, like how you have on like a long homestand when you're playing baseball, where Pac is going up against it's Pac, Ada, and Takashi Yoshida versus Masaki Mochizuki, Kota Minora, and Benkei. Well, yeah, but we've got the Ben K interaction here. So mm-hmm. this, <laughs> I hate that this is at Kobe Sambo Hall because this card is just excellent. Yeah, it's making me hope that everyone's finally going to care about Kobe Sambo Hall for the first time since January. Yeah. So 
that is the probably the pre-intermission match. The matches after intermission, we assume. I'm going to run through the matches again. Feel free to chime in afterwards. Uh, C block Yamato versus Kinky Horiguchi. D block Shun Skywalker versus Big R Shimizu. And A block the main event is KZ versus Kazuma Sakamoto. Main event Kazuma Sakamoto case. Yeah, that, that was something I want to take here was that I think it's a very interesting match order because if I was booking, I'd have Skywalker Shimizu in the main event. Yamato versus Horikushi seems like a safer main event, but they're going with KZ Sakamoto, so more power to them. Yeah, I mean, that's probably more faith in KZ than it is in Cosma, to be quite honest. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, those are the three shows in four nights. They will be on Dragon Gate Network, as always. The Corkin one will have full production, and then the Osaka and Kobe shows won't. Uh, and then pretty much they're going to be traveling to Hong Kong for their Dragon Storm and Spring shows, as we are talking about earlier. We don't know when these will hit the network. But And then after that, there's two shows in Aichi and Mie, which Mie is, interestingly enough, the hometown or the home uh, prefecture of Kisuke Okuda and Benkei. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Don Fuji, uh, from wherever he is, is making an appearance because I think Mie is actually his home prefecture as well. So, you know. Whatever he's doing, I thought that was really nice of him to show up to Nagoya to give a uh, main event commentary, even though he was not on the card case. Hey, Don Fuji's a team player. He absolutely is. And, you know, that's pretty much it for all the Dragon Gate coverage. We did tease this case, and I think this is a good way to kind of close out the show. How good is the TV show, Barry? Everybody is allowed to like what they like. I think it's cool that most people in this country are as into Game of Thrones as they're into. But I don't like dragons, and I don't like bullshit, and I don't get any of that from Barry, which is far and away the best show on TV. And in a world of endless content and constant streaming, I know every show has to be the best show ever for you to convince somebody to watch it, but Barry is is actually very, very, very good. Um, my take on it was the first season of the show was as good as any season of a show ever. I mean, we're talking, you know, Soprano season six, Arrested Development season one, Office season four, you know, these these landmark TV seasons. I think Barry season one was on that level and season two has been better. So we're witnessing a truly special show proving that Bill Hader is a, a genius, which I knew before the show, but I'm glad that more people pay attention to it now. Yeah, and my thoughts about it are that it's kind of in this nice little block with like the last two seasons of Veep, which I think are pretty good because Veep was one of my favorite shows beforehand because I'm a huge Armando Anucci fan. So. Veep is Veep is criminally, I think, underappreciated. Right. Um, Veep has some of my favorite singular episodes of TV of all time, mm -hmm. and this season, I just, <laughs> I'm just amazed that Veep is it's going there. It, I'm amazed that they're able to get away with what they get away with. And I think it's awesome. And I, I wish more shows had the freedom to do what Veep is doing in terms of storytelling and of language, because mm -hmm. I think it's a positive thing um, to I, just some of the things just jar me. I just can't believe what they're doing, but I, I know it's okay because what they're doing is art. And, you know, that's a greater discussion point. Right. But it's really, it's been a fun season, and it's hard to believe that this upcoming Sunday is going to be the last episode of Veep. 
Yeah. That, it's, just, it's just wild to me. Yeah, because I think Veep is one of the more consistently good comedies out there, especially that's hard to do when you're in like this prestige comedy landscape where you have you pretty much dictate how many episodes you have, you have short seasons. But Veep, especially like last week's episode, I had more kind of jaw-dropping actual laughs rather than me in my head think, oh, that's funny, this one. Because it's as dark as it is. And again, this is under the aspects of they're pushing the line of what is art. The whole storyline about someone getting infected with with chickenpox and dying instantly was hilarious to me. It yeah, it's really yeah. it's a really special show that mm -hmm. I just blows me away that it's not I guess talked about more because it's been consistently great since it first aired. Even the the prior season, season six, which was critically panned to some extent, I thought was. A really enjoyable season right um there was so much stuff with jonah and split that i thought was great uh mary holland who i'm a huge fan of came in as shawnee tans it was brilliant in her episodes oh she's she's like one of the best character actors that we don't see in enough stuff oh mary holland it's tremendous phenomenal i i speak her praises every single day i think mm -hmm. i think she is tremendous i have you seen shrink i've been meaning to it's on my list Dude. It's on my list with that uh, fifteen-minute uh, sketch show on uh, Netflix with okay, Sam yeah. Richardson's uh, writing partner from Detroiters. Yes, yeah. So I just recently went through Shrink, which was a CISO show, rest in peace, CISO, um, that NBC bought the rights to or kept the rights to, I guess. And yeah. It's on Hulu now. Eight episodes. It it is batshit crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it's seven episodes, the, and, and, and without giving a spoiler, seven episodes are the same format. And it's by the seventh episode, you're very comfortable with the show and you like these characters. And Tim Baltz is the star. And I think Tim Baltz is a madman. I think everything he does is funny. Um, and then the season, the season finale is fucking insane. I cannot believe the direction they went. And then we never got a follow-up. And that's the thing that I hate with tv and the fact that it's so spread out and and networks and streaming services will just cut and run that you'll have like a great show like also a CISO property that i was a fan of was my brother my brother and me and then billion dollar listings were such funny shows and they just got lost because CISO went bankrupt and it's yeah, just so frustrating billion dollar listing should mm -hmm. be on netflix and it's right. beloved yeah. i mean i you know i have my issues with netflix and a lot of just the streaming culture that we're in as media viewers. But I also recognize that bajillion dollar properties would kill if it was on Netflix. Oh, absolutely. But getting back to Barry, uh, I think that NoHo Hank might be the most uh, intricate and like multi-layered character in a comedy that I've seen in a long time. He is just performance of of noho hank is one of the best characters and has me constantly laughing each time he's on screen and then having a level of empathy for him as he's a terrible person who really in his heart of heart is a wants to be a good person and thinks he's everyone's friend really a really interesting character in my my viewing habits with barry this year i've watched every episode live and then as the week goes by I've watched the episode a second time. And that first that first viewing, I'm there purely as a fan, and I'm just at, on the edge of my seat, waiting for every twist and turn. And then the second viewing, 
I look at things through a different lens. You know, I'm more looking at it of, you know, how can I implement some of this stuff into my own work? Um, but no whole Hank is fascinating because, you know, he's got that monologue at the end of season two, episode one, mm-hmm. where it's really dark. And he's like, you know, I, I was joking earlier, but I'm not, I'm not fucking around anymore. You know, you, you need to take me seriously. You know, I, I, I'm a serious guy. And he, and he has that, you know, a few different times in the season, you know, when, when he tries to assassinate Barry in Barry's room and then he comes out and, you know, Hank's like, yo, just, just kill me. You're going to do it anyways. Just do it. And then Barry doesn't. And Hank is so overcome with joy that he throws up. (laughs) It's the opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's not goofy. It's not demeaning. It's like, it's just this fascinating layered character. He's just intricate. There's yeah. just layers to him. And I, I've read a couple of interviews with the actor's name. I don't forget his name, but he does an excellent job here talking about how he internalizes the character Noho Hank for those who have no idea what we're talking about. Barry is a show about assassins and dr- and gangs and an assassin who does not want to be an assassin, rather be an actor, but he's pulled back in by these Chechenian mobsters who are now led by this guy, Noho Hank, who has been described as this was a kid who probably spent all of his time growing up in Chechnya watching 80s action movies and cheers. And this is what made him into who he is now. And it works. That's the crazy yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not like a pop culture machine. He just like internalizes <laughs> these things. And he knows he's not the cool guy, but he views Barry, who is played by Bill Hader, as like this superhero action Jean-Claude Van Damme star. Yeah, it's... It's just a brilliant series, and uh, and again, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to tweet about how I think your Game of Thrones tweets are lame, because um, I detest people that do that. I detest people that you know wake up on you know the first Sunday in February and go, oh, is the Super Bowl today? Like, yeah, you're the one person out of millions not enjoying this thing. Congratulations. But I I really wish, um, and, and you know, for what it's worth, you know, I you know, and I don't have a ton to compare to, but it looks like the numbers for Barry. Barry are very good. You know, they're coming back for a third season. Yeah. But I just, I want everybody that's there for Thrones to stick around for Barry because it's really a remarkable television show. It's a remarkable television show. It's auteurist in the same way that the uh, Jody Hill, uh, Danny McBride series of shows have been. And it's very much like the singular vision of Alec Berg and Bill Hader to the extent that the episode from the week previous was written by directed by and 20 minutes of this ep- or 25 minutes of the episode all surrounded bill Hader. it was one of the more incredible things i've seen on television was that episode it captured magical realism in a way that i love that i think some people find ridiculous but it was just kind of incredible it's one of my favorite things i've ever seen at the last week's episode and we talked about it right yeah. after I I knew I was witnessing something great. I just wasn't sure if I liked it. Mm-hmm. And now that I've had a week and a half to sit on it, I've determined that I loved what I saw. Um, <laughs> it was just a taste thing where, you know, I recognized in the episode that it was another level of brilliance that we don't really see on TV. Um, but I was worried about how they were going to follow up. And as it turns out, I didn't need to worry um, I should also note that that, uh, that episode, uh, which would be season or uh, season two, episode five, uh, has a 9.8 episode rating on IMDb right now. So critical acclaim. Yeah, it's insane. The closest way I can describe it, too, is that it's Bill Hader's version of the Teddy Perkins episode of Atlanta. Mm. 
and and that's like encapsulates like one episode and it's very much like focused on just one character it's just incredible they they managed to cast this teenage this girl i guess was like their location scout's daughter who is just she's only in the she's, she's only gonna be on the show for like this one like episode and it's just incredible and we haven't even talked about how good Stephen Root is on the show as well. It's, it's ridiculous. It's an incredible show. So I, I, I wanted to make sure we got a chance to put over Barry as the best TV show that not enough people are watching. And you should, if you have access to HBO, check out Barry. It's incredible. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it, Case. Every time we have an episode, I feel like that we're like, okay, we're going to go like an hour and a half. And then I look up at the clock and it's much later. Yes, that, so. that is true. But I've, I've held up enough of your time for this evening. But again, thank you for coming on. It's always a blast. And before I let you go, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no, just keep uh, keep reading my stuff on VoicesWrestling.com. Follow me on Twitter at underscore in your case. And uh, talk to me about Dragon Gate, Barry, or uh, the NBA playoffs. Because those are really the only three things I care about right now. Hey, I think if your priorities in the right place, to be honest. <laughs> But guys, that's going to do it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. You could follow the podcast account on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can follow me personally at Fujiheya. I have another podcast. It's about kind of the other side case of the Dragon System at this point. Everything Elite. And that's that's out on Thursday. So check that out as well. But until next time, thank you all for listening.